This week on the show, we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight Rises. But before we do that, we here at Talking Comics wanted to extend our deepest condolences to anyone affected by the tragedy in Aurora, Colorado. And we wanted to dedicate a moment of silence to all those who lost their lives. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Everybody, it's Wednesday, July 25th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Bob Ryer. Konnichiwa. And Stephanie Cook. Hey, hey. All right, so we are back for a normal round of podcasting. Only one <laughs> this week. Only one podcast this week. So Just one. Just lame. one. I know. Not, people aren't getting their money's worth. Mm. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, last week we had four podcasts. We did our Woman in Comics Week, and it was uh, awesome. And I want to thank everybody who came and downloaded a podcast or read an article. Uh, we had a huge response, and it was great. And also, again, thank you so much to everybody who wrote anything that includes people on the show <laughs> and our other contributors who just you know pumped out content, and it was great. Um, if you guys haven't listened to any of those shows, I mean, we talked to Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is the writer of uh, Captain Marvel, which will come up in a little bit on this show. Um, we talked to Trina Robbins, comic book historian and comic book creator in her own right, um, who was just awesome. And we talked to uh, Fiona Staples, artist on Saga. Mm-hmm. And that's in addition to our normal Talking Comics podcast, which we did last week. So if you guys have missed any of those, go back and listen. They're all on the website, all on iTunes. So check Yeah, if you want to hear us a lot, yes. you'll go and get every one of them. Yeah. Good Collect thing about, them all like Pokemon. Yeah, yeah if, you will. And if you hate listening to us, the good thing about those other three is that we don't do that much talking because other people are talking. So That's right. Yeah. If you have some sort of weird thing where you like listen to people who you hate, in those episodes, you don't have to listen to us talk that much. I'm confused already. I know, me too. I confuse myself, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> So we have a big show to get to. We're going to be talking about The Dark Knight Rises in our uh, topic of the week. We're going to be reviewing it and giving Uh, our thoughts. Uh, For those of you worried about it, the first probably 10 or 15 minutes, if even that, are going to be non-spoiler. We're going to give you general impressions, talk about it. And after that, we're going to go into spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, and I don't know why if you're listening to this show in particular, well, you haven't seen it yet, but if you haven't seen it yet, then you will not get spoiled. Well, it could be because all the tickets were sold out. I mean, people were lined up at like 8.30 a.m. to see it on the weekend. Yeah, but by the time this comes out, it's Wednesday, though. So they've had a Tuesday and a Monday as Yeah, well. but still, you know, it's like shenanigans. If you really wanted to see it on the weekend, you could have seen it. 
All right, I'm fine. Come on, whatever. I just encountered someone who said, I'm waiting for the Blu-ray. Yeah, well, there are people, I'm saying, but those people didn't want to go see it in the movie theater. Um, So, yeah, we're going to talk about that, and that's going to be exciting. We have our books of the week coming up. Uh, Usually, I have some sort of like, oh, let's BS for a little bit thing planned before we start. I was kind of waiting for it. But uh, it took me an hour and a half to get home today from a 20-minute drive, so I was a little frazzled. So I just like shoved food in my mouth, and then uh, we kind of started doing this. So I didn't really come up with anything, uh, you know, fun and pithy to talk mm, about. You, you can, you know, practice shoving food in your mouth for the Olympics. You can just have like a sidebar Olympics eating contest or something. Was that was that a segue to talk about the Olympics? I don't know. I don't really have anything interesting <laughs> to say about the Olympics. I mean, I'm Canadian. We like the Winter Olympics. These mm-hmm. Summer Olympics can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually like the Winter Olympics better than the Summer Olympics. I like some of the sports a little better. Although I like soccer and all that, so I might watch that. But I'm almost really excited for opening ceremonies, and that's it. Mm. Yeah. Crazy grandma. I prefer Winter Olympics myself. Yeah. Me too. I like the... The sports seem more interesting. It's it's they seem more like dares. They're a lot more yeah, dangerous. Too. And it yeah. also is so much more awesome when we beat your guys' hockey team every time. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> How are you doing in basketball this year? Let's let's look at that. <laughs> oh, all of our teams suck here in Canada, except for our, you know, hockey stuff. I mean, and to Toronto Maple Leafs, they're balls. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the Raptors, they suck. That's true. The Blue Jays, they suck. Mm-hmm. The only teams that actually do good, we don't care about. <laughs> the Argos, our football team, they're fucking awesome. Our lacrosse team is like the best. Do we care? <laughs> no. Nope. Well, the Argonauts are okay, I guess. They've got a great name. Yeah, they great have history. A, a good name. The Argonauts. The yeah. Toronto Argonauts. They play for the Grey Cup how many times? A lot. Wow. Yeah. They're and awesome. We don't care, though, in Canada. Our soccer team, they're the worst. We still love them. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair about the lacrosse thing, I don't think anybody over the age of 18 cares about lacrosse. So, that's <laughs> true. It really matters. We have a team here on Long Island. I know we do. The Lizards. Yeah. The Lizards? The, Where's the Rock? <laughs> the Long Island Toronto Lizards. Uh, wasn't it, wasn't lacrosse like started in New York or something? Oh, yeah, the Indians up, yeah. upstate. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Well, there's a little history lesson for you. We uh, learned all about lacrosse. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> we're going to talk about some comic books, though. So, we're going to do a little book of the week. Um, so, I mentioned Kelly Sudaconic being on the show. And. It just so happens that my book of the week this week, uh, and it was also Steve's before I stole it from him. Uh, Might have been mine three too. times I had to change my book <laughs> this week. And Bob's as well. It was uh, Kelly Sudaconic's Captain Marvel, number one. And if you go back and listen to that interview, she talks a lot about uh, Carol's kind of self-possession and her desire to always be the best and you know her insecurities about her family and about her life and about who she is. And all of those things are on the page in Captain Marvel number one. It is both a really well-drawn character study and also a pretty kick-ass, you know, fun action book as well. Um, Carol is wicked funny, wicked smart, uh, just a great character. And, and the art in it, and, and the funny thing is I started off my review talking about the art, and I, I barely ever talk about art in any of my reviews because I just don't have the acumen to really speak about it with much, you know, authority. But Dexter Soy's art in it is just gorgeous. I opened the book up and I just said, wow. Mm. You know, it was like looking at paintings. Like I, I could've, they could have been up on the walls at museums. You know, that's what I thought about them. Um, Steve, since I stole this from you for Book of the Week, yeah. uh, what did you think of it? It's all right. <laughs> no, um, it was wonderful. 
It was wonderful. I mean, we had the, you know, the, the prep and the, uh, the, the adrenaline from talking to Kelly Sue and, you know, you, you want it, you want it to do well. You want it to, to be the big deal that you hoped it would be. And, um, the art was definitely the most, uh, startling aspect of the book as far as like opening it up. I expected it to look like Avenging Spider-Man. I really thought that that was what I was going into. And then I opened up the book and I was just, I had, wow. I'd never, I'd never seen that artist before. And um, he's only done like one or two other things, yeah. I think. I'd be really curious to find out what those are. Yeah. Gratuitous um, butt shots. Yo, yeah, I'm yeah. Kidding. There was no, well, there was at least one. There was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, it's, um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it because it was, you know, the fact that we had the women in comics, I'm still kind of riding off of that, especially this week when I talk about my book. Um, we have, like, she's back. We have another strong female lead who is, I mean, the first words out of her mouth were hilarious when she's talking to Absorbing Man. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just great. Um, so yeah, um, lots of, lots of really nice, like, uh, full page shots of, of her and of the action and the, the writing is top notch. And, uh, it's just, it's really, it's really cool. It's really good to, to usher in this character on a really positive note and to hear, all of the positive feedback from the internet that people, the majority, there might be one or two of you, but there, you know who you are. Yeah. But <laughs> the majority, the, the, the majority feedback is that this is a success and because it's a success, hopefully people will start to pre-order their books and get them ahead of time so that we can keep this around for a while because it, this character doesn't always do so well after yeah. a bit mm-hmm. and it's strong writing Strong art, ridiculously strong art to go with it. Very satisfying. I mean, some of those, like you said, they look like paintings. Yeah. Um, They're like oil paintings or something. Um, I don't want to say too much and steal everybody else's thunder. I thought it was wonderful. I loved her costume, too. I thought it was perfect for the character. It wasn't too, like, you know, well, I mean, Kelly Sudaconic talked about it and how they changed it from that black bathing suit. And I thought it fit in perfectly with her character and... It was a great change. Yes. Yeah. Especially, and she mentioned it being kind of modeled after the Marvel costume. And just in the limited time I've read Marvel stuff and Secret Avengers and such, it does really evoke, especially Dexter Soy's art of it evokes what I've seen prior. Uh, one quick mention I wanted to give was that people, there were, you know, a couple of people complaining about the hairstyle. Uh, she'd brought that up in the interview. She addressed it. And, you know, like she said and like we'd predicted, this is a this is a character that flies. Mm-hmm. She fights, she moves. She's not somebody who's stationary and just talks her powers out. The hair moves all over the place. It's different than it is on the cover. Yeah, if you don't like yeah. that like that do that she, like that 50s diners do mm-hmm. thing that she has, the quaff. I don't know what the hell it, what it is. It's some sort of like it's like a mohawk. Right. Yeah. But it, okay. it's actually it's only clipped up I believe because you see the one scene one of the quiet scenes where she's just standing her hair's down. Yeah. Right. So Well, to, you know what? Like go. Just who cares? Yeah. Who cares well, somebody, what her hair looks there like? Were, somebody did. There were, there were I, I get that there are yeah. people complaining about it, but to those people, shut up. No one cares what her hair looks like. Want to know why? Because we're too busy reading the story and looking at the incredible art. Are you shaking your fist? I am. Oh, shit. You, better, you guys better listen. Yeah, go away quick. Watch out. Yeah. I almost didn't walk away from that the last time. <laughs> so now I felt, as you guys did, the art is pretty amazing, but the storytelling was even more so. Yeah. We, Kelly, when she was talking to us, mentioned how you know, she'd gone back to the original 
Ms. Marvel series in the 70s and picked bits and pieces of her identity struggle, both as a woman and, a, and as a hero. You get to see those and her overcoming that. Those scenes with Captain America where she's sort of leading him around, yes. where her military training comes to the fore, spectacular. But then the quiet scenes with her friend, uh, uh, Tracy, who goes all the way back to, I think it's the third issue of the original series, where she was helping her edit the magazine she was doing for Jonah, and have her reappear after 30 years or something. It is just really, really telling that, that Kelly Sue did her homework, found th- that touchstone from those years ago to put it back here, and those quiet scenes resonate as much as all the other stuff, and that's the, the great balance that a lot of these sort of female books we don't see. Mm-hmm. It's um, a oh, complete victory, just complete victory as a book. Uh, one of the things that I loved about Tracy's character was the like the snappy back and forth yes. between the two of them. She's like, "I'm freezing my balls Hold off." She's like, you don't have balls. She's like, "You don't know that." Yeah. It was it was a, it was a perfect compliment to to her humor, and it just it lightened what could have been a very like you know um, I don't know like a morose moment between a friend who's sick and blah blah blah. They they she lightened it up with some jokes, and it, yeah. it, it made that whole scene really enjoyable. Absolutely, absolutely, and. That thing that Kelly Sue said as well about you know her being the piece of shit at the center of it, her own universe, mm-hmm. you know, that being both kind of self-centered and having self-conscious issues. Um, there's that moment where she's trying to decide whether she wants to be Captain Marvel or not, and you know she's like, oh, I can't, you know, I, I can never get that thrill that my mentor got by going in a plane, and she's that in the next moment she's like. If if my mentor heard me saying these words, she would punch me in the face because you know she if I had, she had the billies I had she would punch a hole in the sky Aye. you know and I loved that line and I loved that there was that through line throughout the whole thing of that voiceover that was happening yeah. um, that connected everything I also say this I loved the interaction between her and Spider Man I thought it was it was great and that crackled mm-hmm. and it, it's good in Avengers Spider Man it's good in this and um, I love the motion of her throwing the punches and such yeah. Yeah. Um, can I just? Say, did you say piece of shit at the center of the universe? Yeah, isn't that what she said? Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I yeah, heard yeah, you yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the idea of being, you know, both hating yourself right. and being completely self-centered at the right. same time. She either said piece of shit or piece of garbage. I don't remember which which thing she said. <laughs> uh, it was something like that. I'm paraphrasing Kelly Sue. I, just, I thought <laughs> I was like, where did I go for a second? I, I had to make sure. All right, I'm good. Um, and I, what I like too is that the interaction with Captain America is is snappy. Interaction with Spider-Man is snappy, but they're completely different mm-hmm. tones and tenors to both of those those, those interactions. Um, Stephanie, you obviously you like the book as well, right? I did. I loved it. It would have been my favorite book of the week, you know, had I been able to make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fantastic. I thought the writing was great. Um, it's one of those things where we had her on the podcast before we read it, and you know, you want it to be good, like Steve said, but at the same time, you're like. Will it be good? Will yes. it live up to sort of this hype that we've, you know, um, associated with it? And it, I think it even surpassed, like, my expectations. And it was just so enjoyable. And I definitely want to pick up the next series. I uh, bought it digitally on the Wednesday. And I also went out and purchased a physical copy of it as yes. well. So double whammy. <laughs> Very nice. You'll get another chance too because they're going back for a second printing with a variant cover. They are. They Ooh. are. And Avenging Spider-Man yes. as well. Yes. Ooh. Yes, that's what's happening. Hey, hey. 
Yes. And so, I liked um, the little fan section in the back that she did instead of sort of letters and all that stuff, although I think they are doing yes. letters. But I liked the fan art. Did you see the Hanny Mode han- uh, fan I art? I did. I believe I texted you about that, yes, actually. Yes, you did. I wrote her. I told her. I said, <laughs> I want that on my wall to go with the rest of mine. So hopefully that happens. Yeah. It was very, very cool. So, yeah, Captain Marvel number one, if you guys haven't picked it up, go pick it up. It's a great, great first issue. I had the same feeling I had finishing that issue as I had when I finished uh, actually the new 52 Aquaman number one, mm-hmm. which gave me like this energized, like, I just want to read more of it right now kind of feeling. And that's the same feeling I got from this. Except you didn't wind up really liking Aquaman, but let's hope that's not the same for Captain Marvel. <laughs> but great first issue, regardless. That's all I'm saying. Great first issue. <laughs> well, I did not end up not liking Aquaman. I just kind of, it just kind of fell away because. We're reading 6,000 books that I had to... I've been reading it. It's very good. That's what I hear. I hear it's great. So yeah. I'm going to start doing that again. But we're not talking about Aquaman. We're getting off, we're getting off, off track here. But New 52. Yeah. Supergirl. Yay. Steve. Hurrah. Go. <laughs> um, well, as you may have heard several times, it was Women in Comics Week mm. last week. Uh, and here I am. I got the opportunity to review Supergirl number 11, uh, written by Michael Green and Mike Johnson. Um, I, I've, I've been pushing this book on people that have been asking what to read um, from the New 52, and Supergirl is definitely something that you want to pick up, and here's the reason. When they started, when they first proposed the DC New 52, they basically touted it as a reboot, relaunch, we're going to reintroduce you to these characters. They did not do that. They did it with a few. And the few that they've done it with, they kind of gave you like a little bit of a beginner and then they launched them into full-blown doing what they've always done kind of thing. With Supergirl, they started from scratch, literally, And here we are at number 11, and we're still building our character. Um, I absolutely love that about the book. I love the fact that Kara is still feeling like the Earth is not her home. She feels like she doesn't know who she could trust. She doesn't doesn't really—she has friends, but she, she feels like at any minute that they could disappear. And she's starting to realize that she, no, no matter where she goes, she's a danger to anyone. She's the savior, but she's also, you know, she, she, she gets people in trouble. She gets people killed. And um, I just, I love watching. It's the only character that I feel that I'm actually watching, like, a rebirth or, or the, the building of a character who's still, you know, her, her powers don't work. Or they work, but they're, they're overpowered. She doesn't know how to use them. She doesn't know how to use them in tandem so that they're, she gets the full effect or the full benefit of having these powers. Um, so, for, I mean, I'm not going to get into the plot. She gets attacked by some dude in a nano suit. It's really cool. Um, but the bottom line is that the book is funny. The book is very endearing. And it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful example of what the DC 52 was supposed to do. And for the vast majority of the releases did not. So if you are looking for something that starts from the beginning and brings you along the entire journey without jumping all over the place. And you, it's like a slow burn to this character becoming what they are, which was the whole point of this thing. Supergirl is a really, really great book for that. So I enjoyed the hell out of this. Uh, and I have every issue. So 
Steve, you got me started with this. I started yep. buying a few issues back, and we're still building her supporting cast. She finally has some friends here. I don't want to give too much away because that's part of a story arc that yeah. people may not have gotten to read yet, but they should be reading this. Yep. It is fun. We, the, as we reconnect near the back of the book, the, this whole sequence here, the last two pages, is just absolutely hysterical. Yeah, yeah. This is what I'm, there's a panel here, which is, uh, the word is bam, in the middle of this panel. Mm-hmm. It is one of the funniest things I've read in years. It's just mm-hmm. nothing. It's a throwaway. It's fantastic. And yet it speaks to what's going on with these characters, where yeah. it's, it's, it's a growth process. This is a jumping on point. You could have bought this It is a one. jumping on point. I was going to say that, yeah. because at the end of this issue, it is officially business time. Yeah. Like it's it's business time, all right. <laughs> She's got her, her business socks on, and she business socks exactly. Yeah. You know she she's about to. Uh, I don't want to say what's going on, but like it's it is it's business time. It's it's time to get some answers, and I think that I think this is the issue where we're going to leave behind the like scared fish out of water. Kara, and we're going to start to get into the, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of pissed off about this. Mm. This one, the one person that I know that is able to fill me in on what's going on is not doing his job. And yeah, yeah. so yeah. I think there's going to be some words <laughs> going down uh, issue number 12. And I can't wait for it. It's been really awesome. So, you know, strong female lead, growth funny as hell really funny like it's like you said that line and there's there's that whole situation in the beginning of the book i can't say what mm-hmm. it is it's hilarious so supergirl number 11 do it yeah worst comes worst they have to go back is it two issues where we introduce yeah these people yeah because that won't be it's, in that first trade but does the trade even come out yet? yeah the first trade's yeah. come out okay yeah. yeah so by that buy a couple of issues you'll you'll be very happy with us for having yeah, there's a part. very there's a very solid cast uh forming and um and the art and also the artwork is spectacular um try to pronounce this guy's name uh mabed azrar the art is beautiful yes it's it's breathtaking yes i would by the way i would love it if supergirl's catchphrase was it's business time (laughs) (laughs) awesome (laughs) yeah it's great i mean i agree i mean back when we started this thing and i was reading supergirl it, it is kind of astounding that they managed to restart her you know and pretty much kept the or did you bob did you go back and read the initial no, issues I've yet, yet to. okay i've yet to do that didn't so i loan them to you to... no uh. ah fuck <laughs> <laughs> i thought i did uh, you um, let me seven i think shit gotcha. i could have sworn all right so th- yeah. th- th- that beginning point is really great and i think it's issue two or three there's a knockdown drag out fight between supergirl and superman it's two issues long yeah it's, it's awesome it's pretty great uh-huh. it's a great book and people should be reading it if you know, if you were turned off by the New 52 and you didn't want to read it, there are certain books that you should be reading if you want to be reading good comic books, and this is one of them. Absolutely. So, yeah. There you go. Um, Stephanie, what do you what do you got for us? You've been catching up on some books, right? I have. Um, I, I just kind of couldn't decide this week, and I did a marathon of um, catching up to The Walking Dead. Not quite there yet, but I read about 20, no, 30, 40 issues of it Wow! in the past couple of days, so... Um, I'm working my way towards, you know, the latest issue, number 100. I got to say, it's pretty awesome. And for those of you who aren't reading The Walking Dead and you've seen the TV show, it's so, so drastically different. And better. It is. I mean, 
I think it's, it's safe so to say much that they're better. very it's different. So much um, they're very different entities, and they go very different places. So I'm kind of just keeping them separate, but just sort of telling people out there that if you haven't read the comics, you're in for a surprise if you decide to go check them out. Um, mm. Characters are so so much more. Um, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Just, the, there's just so much more to them. The investment in them is so much bigger. Mm-hmm. The um, there's a lot. The characters to me are a bit better. I'm loving the shit out of Andrea, whereas I hate yeah. her in the TV show. Yeah. And, Told you. Um, I mean, even Carl isn't really that annoying. And <laughs> I still Lori's don't know what that's slightly stupid. less annoying. Yeah. But only slightly. Slightly. <laughs> slightly. Um, and it's just so much darker than the TV show goes. And if you've seen the TV show, I mean, it's pretty dark. So that just gives you kind of an idea of the shenanigans that is going mm-hmm. on. But they just released, um, I believe, the trailer for The Walking Dead Season 3. Yes. There's I a haven't lot actually watched it yet, but crazy I saw ass some... zombiness in it. I saw some um, sort of stills from it, and I saw that they were introducing some major characters, and mm-hmm. should be interesting. I have a feeling that even though I didn't really like Season 2, I'm going to get roped into this... I wonder if all that uh, of the show, but that's not comics, so no. I'll stop <laughs> talking about that. I wonder if all that zombie madness that you saw was them just taking all the clips of actually actual zombie action throughout the whole season and yeah. just pushing it into one little thing. Maybe, which would be fine. Hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily need all the zombie action to be in there, but uh, I do. That sh- that show is just has other problems. But uh, <laughs> Stephanie, there was a book that uh, I talked about weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, from Image that and, um, you would want to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I. I had sort of claimed to Bobby that I wanted to talk about it for my book of the week, and it turned out that I wasn't going to be on the show that week. And um, that book is uh, Tim Seeley and Mike Norton's Revival Number 1 from Image Comics. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read this book yet, go fucking do it right now. <laughs> um, I find that Number 1s, they they can leave you with a lot of intrigue, and you they can be good, but... You never really feel like, you know, there's not always that much excitement. And Revival Number 1 is just, it's the whole package. The art's great. The story's great. It's intriguing. You're just kind of, it leaves so much more to be desired. And I loved the shit out of it. And, you know, I just wanted to say that pretty much. All right. So, um, oh, sorry, Stephanie. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Mike Norton, I recently, like just before Revival, I'd gotten into uh, Battle Pug, an online comic by Mike Norton, which I'll probably talk about in another week, but it's great. With a name like Battle Pug, how could you fail? (laughs) Steve's prediction (laughs) before the show was, he asked me, do you know Stephanie's book of the week? And I said, no. And he goes, it's probably going to be some obscure (laughs) webcomic. That's true, I did say that. I'm really into webcomics right now, you guys. (laughs) They're good. Yeah, they're very good. Sarah and the Seed was... Sarah and the Seed was excellent. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm so glad I could, like, turn so many people onto it, because it's so good. Did you read RPG yet? No. You have to send me the link, or I'll forget. It's so up your alley. Like, your sense of humor, it's got it written all over it. It's so good. Send it to me. I will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's Stephanie's... uh, 
books, stuff, stuff, stuffs of the week. Uh, <laughs> Bob, why don't you finish us off here? Uh, okay, really quickly. Just I saw in Steve's pile, it just came up the Silk Spectre before Watchmen, which we are, we are enjoying. Groovy man. Yeah, issue two yeah. was really interesting. It took it into a. Mu- much different place whereas Silk Spectre 1 I said it was good but I just didn't feel any kind of like fire to it this definitely has some fire to it there's it goes into a really really solid yeah <laughs> a, a much more unique Groovy. place than I expected yeah. it to it was not where I expected the book yeah, to some go some cameos Few cameos, yes, some, yeah, yeah, some uh, some yeah. musical cameos going on, yeah. which is nice. It's addressing things we didn't see before, but still doesn't throw it completely out of bounds, you know, you so know you don't like, know what's happening. Well, so that's what these books could be, but aren't. I like that it's showing it's showing her in an environment that is is very real. Like that was very much a part of the culture at the time. And rather than just like stick her in the shadows or just put her with her mom all the time, like. We're getting to see Laurie experiencing life and still like that was part of how she became who she is, yeah. like her, her character. That yes. was all an influence and a part of it. And it's a really cool um, story. It's very musically oriented, which is always a huge plus with me. And um, it's just it's going into a, a very psychedelic territory. And it's um, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get anything like that from the other books. And it's cool that because of the time period that they're touching on that. Yeah. So I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And Amanda Connor's art this time is a little grittier. The last time it matches the change Mm -hmm. in eras. So I I really appreciated that. But now on to my actual book of the week, which is X Factor 240. It's Peter David writing as usual. And Neil Edwards this time drawing. This book keeps changing artists. It seems almost issue to issue. Really cool cover. Yeah. Well, what we have here, this is, I'd love to be able to ask Peter, you know, where he, I know where he came up with this. It's Run, Layla, Run, which is obviously based on Run, Lola, Run. You brought the movie. Of course I brought the movie because she appears. We're going to watch it. (laughs) She appears in the story. Does she? She does. She's right there. Oh, great. What we have here is Layla Miller uh, of X Factor who can see the future. It's a story where she has 23 minutes to save a teenage girl. And it's, it's on foot. She's running through the city. And as the book goes on, we see the changing timelines. Two or three columns at a time. What could happen? What does happen? What's going to be? Some of these futures are nearly what we know. Some are not. Some are just hideously awful. It is... Heartfelt and touching and wonderful. There's a, a really deeply sort of unexpected ending here. I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying too much, but this is just <laughs> yes. a wonderful, wonderful book. And if you haven't picked up X Factor before, we've been talking about it. We've got a review of this actually up on the site. I think someone put uh, yes, a review. I'm going to start up. reading it because that is really. It's um, really good. It's Ooh. funny and scary when need be and deep when needs be. This is just a really good book. And this one particularly, you could jump on. You don't need to know mm. too much except where we are here. And you'll start to love this character of Layla Miller particularly. I've so. heard nothing. Well, oh. Oh. Go ahead, oh, Steph. I was just going to say, well, they tell you absolutely everything you need to know in the beginning, like on that one sheet there Yes. Um, for this particular issue. And that's all you need to know. Ooh. Yeah, so right there. Did you it catch... could be like a one-shot kind of thing. It could be. Well, sure. it's one of those those series that I've heard absolutely nothing but good things from people that I trust. It's just the one thing that I haven't embraced yet, but mm-hmm. I might have to after this. I didn't realize, like, for the longest time, I just kind of ignored it. And I assumed that because it had the X in front of it, it was just like one of the X-Men books. And I was just like, there's no. so many of them. <laughs> this and, is um, outside that universe 
yet within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Bob, when we had uh, Peter, Peter on the show, he uh, Bob recommended where I should jump on, and I got into it as well. And I've been faithfully reading it as it comes out. And this issue is really great. Yeah. Uh, did you catch the Lola cameo? Or have you seen that movie before? I, I, yes, 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 okay. yes, yes. I don't know if I caught it. I. It's the Maybe? bottom of page eight or something. She she turns the corner and runs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Smack yeah. into and her. She's like, okay. Well, she's cursing yes. in German, and Layla says, "What's her deal anyway?" <laughs> That's awesome. I actually just saw that movie for the first time this year, and I loved it. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's a really yes. great movie. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. In the, I I know Peter a little bit, and in, in that he's been a customer of mine for many years, and he loves movies a yeah. lot. And I'm sure it, it, some night he woke up at a bed and went, Layla, run, Layla, run. I should do this. <laughs> but he does it in a way that isn't just rehashing this movie. Right. It's the idea of it. It's that, that shattered time thing. It's just great. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Steffi. I'm glad I touted you on this book. It, it's such a, like you said, it's such a great ending, too. Because for, I mean, I try not to think too much ahead when I'm reading something because mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't want it to be ruined, even if I, you know, by figuring yeah. it out. And um, I really didn't see, you know, where it was going. And uh, I didn't either. It was just a lot of fun, and it took a cute little twist. It was all like, aw, <laughs> adorable. Adorable. Yeah, Comics should They should be that once in a while. They should make you want to dance to Charleston or something <laughs> when you finish reading. I love the Charleston. <laughs> it's the best dance. <laughs> um... <laughs> Speaking of uh, emotional endings, I want to touch on this real quick. Um, uh, we can't really talk about it in depth because it has a lot of story behind it, but uh, oh boy. Steve and I, I know where you're going. read Journey into Mystery this oh. week, and the ending of that book is so sad. It, it's so sad. And it's not like emotionally like, oh, it's cute. It's emotionally crushing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Very much so. Um, destroy your soul. And it creates this, this thing for Loki who's a character who has often caused personal tragedy for other people in his career as a supervillain, now cast as a hero again for the first time, really gets his own personal tragedy, gets something that's going to sh- probably shape his character for years and years to come. Mm. And it's it, and when it happened, I literally stopped reading and went, no. Yeah. I, you know? Yeah, um, it's, it's It's a, it's a, um, I didn't, it came out of, it came out of nowhere for me. Like I didn't see it coming. It just well because we didn't know what it meant. Yeah, I know. I know. But well, I was like, oh, her hand's going. How cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Can I just ask you about that book? Yeah. Do you guys know a good jumping-on point for that off the top of your head? Um. Well, I would say that it hasn't been running that long. The but- Exiled uh, is where I started, and I I was able to. Um, it's really not that long. Um, the yeah. series itself is not that long, but if you want, I think Exiled might be a good place to start. Exiled is a good place to um, jump on, and the arc before that, which is called the Terrorism Myth. Yeah. Um, the terrorism to, Myth? Yeah. I don't remember the issue number, but I think there's actually even a trade that just came out for it. But oh, it, okay. Yeah. But the Terrorism Myth was where I jumped on, on it, and there's a lot going on, and it's kind of um, deep, but you get into it pretty quickly. Um, and again, Steve just let me borrow really the first arc of this journey into mystery which is the fear itself yeah. arc um which is somewhere in the 600s like 623 622 622 so that's actually the beginning of this young this kid loki uh arc so um it's just a it's a great book it's a, a great great book and the fact that i've been thinking about the ending of this book for about a week now dude that ending punched me in the face yeah. it's pretty it's pretty intense 
It's pretty intense. I was upset. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those are two kind of examples of comics, how they kind of hit you in a different way. You know, and superhero comics, you know, mainstream mm-hmm. superhero comics that have a little bit of a punch to them. Mm. Uh, so that is the end of our book of the week segment. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come right it's back and we're going to talk about The Dark Knight Rises. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. All right, we are back, and we're here to talk about The Dark Knight Rises, the conclusion to the Christopher Nolan trilogy of Batman films. Um, Obviously, falling off Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and now we have Dark Knight Rises, starring again Christian Bale. Um, But we have new villains here. We have uh, Bane, played by Tom Hardy, Um, and, well, not really a villain, but a a frenemy, uh, Catwoman, played by (laughs) Anne Hathaway. Um, we also have, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie, Marianne Cotillard is in this movie. Obviously, we have Morgan Freeman back. We have Michael Caine back. We have Gary Oldman back. Um, and so we're going to talk about our feelings about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to get into spoilers right now. We'll let you guys know once we're going to get into spoilers. Um, so, Bob, why don't you start us out? What did you think of The Dark Knight Rises? I liked it a lot. I am... Um without meaning to spoil anybody else's thunder. I don't think I loved it as much as everybody else. And that's apparently everybody else on planet earth. Um, it is a, it is a really good film. Uh, the there's, it's an, for the finale of a trilogy, he really amped it up. It is, it's, it's epic in its scope. It's, it's the largest of the three films today in what's, what's at stake and what has to get done to fix what's gone horribly wrong. Yes. <laughs> I imagine not to give anything away though. That was that, that was, was good. Bad. It was very that good. That was not bad. Yes. Um, it is in a, in a particular Christopher Nolan Batman universe. Mm-hmm. So if you've loved the first two, you you have to see this. There's just no question. I mean, there are some people I've already heard saying, "Oh, it's not as good as Dark Knight." And yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let, let Steve take a shot at this. I, I'm foundering and trying to find ways to say things without actually saying anything yet <laughs> it cradled my genitals and made sweet love <laughs> okay i'm disturbed now yes um no i i i my, i've been you know obviously we saw it a few days ago i've been thinking about it for days i loved it i loved it i really loved it um i thought bane was an extremely uh powerful and vicious villain um i loved how statesmanly he was about his declarations towards Gotham and the Batman. Um, I thought that Anne Hathaway did an uh, exemplary job. Uh, uh, We'll get into more details about it later, but she just, she took so many elements from so many other Catwomans that I've seen, but yet still managed to make it her own. Um, Michael Caine stole the show for me. I, uh, I love, Alfred's one of my favorite characters in the Bat universe. And even though he spent a majority of the movie crying, I, I still... Uh, <laughs> he did cry a lot. I, he did. <laughs> he cried, This is emotional. God, he's really I sensitive, know. Steve. Don't be a turd about it. I'm not being mm-hmm. a turd about it. I really... <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt for him. I really did. Um, and I just... I, my, my base thing that I keep telling people is that this was a movie about Gotham. 
and that Christopher Nolan's Batman, for me personally, I'm not speaking for everybody, but just has has been more about the idea of of what Batman means to the city of Gotham and what he represents more so than the Batman himself. And that really, really came together in this final movie. So those are my initial thoughts. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? I loved it. I actually think it was the strongest of the three films for me. Um, it, it, I, I liked it even more than The Dark Knight. Um, for me, again, without spoilers, like Batman Begins was great. Dark Knight seemed to very, it's very stop and start. Like there's points in The Dark Knight where I feel like the film should have ended and it just sort of starts up again. And for me, The Dark Knight Rises was this perfect, um, just, what's the word I'm looking for? It flowed so well and was put together so beautifully. And the story just, you don't feel like you've been sitting there for almost three hours. And um, it was great. As you guys know, um, if you listened to our podcast when we first, when we talked about The Dark Knight Rises coming out, I was not a big fan of Anne Hathaway being cast as Catwoman. Um, I have to say that after seeing the film, she was so kick-ass, just so fucking awesome. Um, she, to me, embodied what Selena Kyle and Catwoman should. So, yeah. We'll talk later. Uh, so, I mean, I pretty much, uh, I, I, I did love it. I, it's just varying degrees of loving. I mean, I, as compared to the other films, you know, I, it's probably my second favorite Uh but we'll get into more of those mm-hmm. details later on. Uh, the movie itself, I totally agree. I think I think the uh, most mostly universal praise for Anne Hathaway, uh, I think, is pretty spot on. I, I think that she embodies uh, a spirit of of a, that character more than I think any other cinematic or TV version I've seen of it. For me, <laughs> okay, Bob shaking his head wildly at wildly. me. Wildly. Um, so I, I like I, I I loved her sense of uh, the, the sense of her being a person who was doing what she had to do and you know wasn't a good guy wasn't a bad guy just was doing what was right for her and I, I like that sense but I also like the playfulness between her and and Batman and uh, I I was a big fan of her performance she to me uh, was the the new kind of the new costumed hero or villain standout of the movie. Uh, I, I really liked Tom Hardy as Bane as well. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I loved, I loved the choice of the, the, the voice that he uses. The voice was, was, uh, sold me. I, I loved it. Every it's, word. It's incredibly unique. It's not the voice you expect to hear coming out of a person who looks like that, whether you know the comic book Bane or not. If you just saw that guy in any movie, you would Bad not expect man. him to speak the way... <laughs> That Tom Hardy speaks, Your and I think must be more severe. <laughs> uh, he's he was the standout for me because it could have very easily been when they were struggling with that the, the mix on the sound early on. Is oh, uh, this is the Bane from the Schumacher movie? This mm. is some terrible guttural. No, this is despite the appearance, a thoughtful, thinking character, calculated. Yeah, well, who's definitely I, taking it to a different level. Go ahead, I think it's worth mentioning, too, to everybody, because there was so much fuss um, prior to the film coming out, uh, that his voice is completely understandable. Um, 
people were freaking out that you wouldn't be able to get the gist of what he was saying. And Christopher Nolan tried to reassure people that it was going to be fine. Calm the fuck down, masses. Yeah. yeah. And you can, um, you can completely understand. He came that. through. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were a couple bits, but generally. Yeah, and that's because I, I think if you watch it a second time, I think you'll understand 100% of what he says. I think there's just moments where there's a lot of stuff going on, and the fact that his voice is slightly different than a normal human being's voice because it's coming through this this mask, and it's, it's a different accent. You lose a little bit of it, but I don't think you lose anything uh, no. vital to what's going on. No, and it was all stuff that could be figured out like once you processed it a bit, but at the time, it's kind of like, what? Was that even English? Yes, yeah, and absolutely. And then it, it's... Yeah. You're like, oh, that's what he said. It comes together. I think like some of the stuff in the trailer, it's taken out of context. So you don't really understand him fully. But when it plays in part with the movie, um, it fits together and it makes a lot more sense. Totally. Absolutely. Um, What I did really love about the movie is I felt like there was a lot more focus back on Bruce Wayne as a character. Whereas I feel in The Dark Knight, that, that focus has taken off of Bruce a lot because there's a lot of other stuff to worry about. And in this movie, you get a lot more scenes with Bruce dealing with what he's doing, dealing with being Batman, not being Batman, dealing with kind of almost a re-origin story in a lot of ways. So you get a lot of time spent with him overcoming things. And you don't really get that in uh, in the second movie as much. And I thought Bale did a great job. And, and I think that they scale back the Batman voice a little bit in this, so it's... It's not as comedic when he's speaking in it. There's still times where he's speaking in the Batman voice to people who know that he's Batman, and that part of that stuff always has bothered me. That's this is, that's nitpicky stuff, but and I understand. I think part of the thing is you know when he's in that suit, he's like a different person. Yeah, and I understand that, but still, when he's talking to Alfred, he doesn't need to talk in that voice. So uh, <laughs> that stuff has always been a little nitpicky to me. It's always kind of just one of those things that stops it from being you know 100 percent to me. And then there's the other side of the coin, which is not these kind of either, you know, incredibly theatrical people, which is kind of the Gotham PD side of the equation, which is kind of filled out by, you know, um, Gary Oldman, Matthew Modine, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, two of the th- first of all, I think all three of them are very good actors and good in the movie. Mm-hmm. I-, I think the Matthew Modine character is slightly pointless. You know, it's, he just does not have an arc that I understand. I don't understand, was A, he, why you get Matthew Modine to play that role. Was he the hardened cop? He yeah. was the guy who was like, I'm going to get the Batman! You know, that uh, yeah, guy. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, are we in spoilers territory no, yet? No, we're not. Yeah. No, we're not. We're not, we're not getting there yet. I just okay, because th- I think that's kind of getting spoilery. Well, he's just, he's a cop in the movie. <laughs> that's yeah, all I'm saying. but at the same time, that ties into something else, doesn't it? Well, no, not really. I mean, I'm, not really. I mean, he's, his, his arc to me is, is pointless in the movie. To, to me, uh, okay. His character arc, as far as like where he goes from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, what he does just not does not feel like it really impacts anything to me. Uh, I think that Gary Oldman is just as good as he's been in, in the other movies, if not better. I love that he gets a lot of time here and gets to you, you pay off the relationship that they've built up in the, in the last mm-hmm. two movies. And then really comes actually my favorite person. I'm predisposed. I've been, he, I wanted to say something. But I know he's he is, my so favorite actor yeah. like in the world right now. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, um, yes, I think he's fantastic in the yep. movie. He brings uh, just a, a different thing than I was expecting. You know, it, his character follows some of the beats that I expected, but what he brings and kind of how much screen time he gets, I did not expect. And he gives a 
a really human side to the movie that I, I was really impressed by. Uh, overall, I really liked it. It expands a ridiculous amount of time. It's a huge epic. It's, you know, it's like Lawrence of Arabia you know, in, in its scope in a lot of ways. And that's what usually mean too, is that these three movies are all different, very different almost genres of movie in a lot of ways. I think that this movie aspires to be something bigger than either of the previous two movies. And because of that, I think that at times it does not hit all of the points it tries to hit. But I, I forgive it a lot of those things because it's trying to be such an ambitious movie. So I loved it. I just did not love it as much as, like when I walked out of The Dark Knight, I was like, I got nothing wrong with this movie. Since watching The Dark Knight again, there are things wrong with that movie, but walking out, I didn't have that feeling. Hmm. So that's what I okay. think about The Dark Knight Rises. Hmm. But by the way, everybody should see it. It's a great movie. You know, it's just... Yes. I, yeah. Despite my misgivings mm. on things, yes, it is a very good movie. This is not steel. No. You know... <laughs> So if I, if I I'm going to sound negative to me this is still a three star movie. Steal the Shaquille O'Neal movie. Yes. yes. Right. Are we really comparing? <laughs> no, but I, because it, when when we when this becomes the spoilerific debate that it's going to turn into, I don't want to come off as completely negative. I'm playing devil's advocate. This is a really good movie. We should not take take it as nitpicking or take it as completely dismissive. It is to me. It just isn't perfect. There are very few right. perfect movies. Yeah, and so we need to point out those things in a way that people will say, "Okay, we shouldn't accept mm-hmm. less than perfect." The, the fact that he attempted something this large, in the same way, though I think slightly more successfully, maybe a lot more successfully, where the Avengers decided, "I'm going to give you all this superhero stuff you've ever wanted to see in a movie. I'm not going to stop to explain." Thor's hammer or Captain America's shield. Here it is. Let's go on this ride. Have fun with it and go for it. That was ballsy. Yeah, I, I and I said this. I said as anybody I've talked to who's, who's brought the Avengers in this, I think that comparing it either negatively or favorably to the Avengers is almost like comparing apples and oranges. They're both superhero movies, but I feel like what both of them. Both of them are trying to do very different things, mm-hmm. but also well, both very it, big things. Absolutely, ahead, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, ahead, I'm gonna say like. But, the Batman trilogy isn't really a comic book movie. The Avengers is very much a comic book movie, whereas uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy is almost more of just action drama. Like, it's not really something right out of the comics, even though it does take a lot of um, direct influence from them. It's more of its own entity that's just I sort of based have... on comic book characters. See, I, w- I want to make this point without saying it... Too spoilery. It is a it is a very good film. I'm not certain it's a very good Batman film. It's a very good Christopher Nolan film. It's an action drama. It's a police movie that, in essence, you could pull Batman out of, and it's still a really good movie. He is not central to the plot of it necessarily. It could be plugged in with somebody else, and that's uh, the difference. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I mean, I'm going to say... I don't need you to agree with that. I'm yeah, just saying yeah. it, yeah. I'm going to say this, Bob. I, you know, I, I almost agree with you in some ways. I don't agree that it's a bad Batman film, but I do agree with you that I think that other... I think even The Dark Knight, in a lot of senses, I think Christopher Nolan... I think Christopher Nolan really likes the character of Batman, and I think that people who say, oh, it's not really a comic book movie, or, you know, it's, it, this is... Christopher Nolan knows who Batman is. He gets that character. You know, he gets it more than... This is more Batman than the... In a lot of ways than the Tim Burton Batman, because the Tim Burton Batman would shoot guns at people. 
<laughs> you know? So they're both they're doing different eras of this character. Right, but again, no matter what era it is, Batman's never gonna pick up a gun. Yes, he did. And shoot a lot of people. Well, yes, he but, did. but the endearing enduring spirit of Batman is not that. You know? Um so well, this one but but anyway, that's what I wanted to yeah. say. But I do agree with you, Bob, that it is it's almost not it doesn't fit into the mold of a comic book movie. And at this uh, point, I'm agreeing with Stephanie about this, too. It does not agree... It does not fit into the mold of a, a, a traditional comic book movie. But to me, that doesn't make it not vitally a Batman movie. You, you know what I mean? Um, I, so, Stephanie, go ahead. I think I do sort of understand where Bob's coming from as far as it's not... I mean, it does have a lot of aspects of a good Batman movie and takes elements of what makes Batman Batman. But I do think that there are parts that are left out that sort of make it um, not Batman. I like to me, uh, Christian Bale's Batman doesn't embody this um, perfect detective. Um, right. I think he, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's a better, much better detective in this well, movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Like he, there's there's parts about it that I don't think Christopher Nolan nailed, but I don't necessarily think he was trying to get those parts down either. Oh, I no, but, I agree with that too. He's mm-hmm. he wasn't attempting to make it and failed. He's attempting to make his vision. Yeah. So, I mean, I do understand, again, Bob, where you're coming from, even though I loved the movie personally. <laughs> Steve. Um, I just want to point out when we were talking about the Avengers a couple of minutes ago that, um, I mean, I'm personally of the mind that the Avengers movie wouldn't even exist if, if it wasn't for the Batman films. Not that it wouldn't exist, but that it wouldn't have been held to it's like it's acceptable now to have these gigantic comic book movies i think that with nolan's batman that it kind of paved the way for that i again think it's apples and oranges you know i think that i they're very different but you gotta you gotta admit that when batman came out because it was a crime drama because like my mom and my stepfather watched batman begins and the dark knight and they loved it they're not into batman Right, but but again, that's the, you. Th- this is very. I think Nolan's vision is very specific to his Batman films because I, I think the Avengers owes much more to, you know, Spider Man or Iron, Iron Man, Man or you know those movies because the Avengers is not doing what the Dark Knight's right, doing. But you the know? The, yeah. the quality. I'm so, I'm talking about the quality. The quality of the films has needed to like once Batman Begins came out, they needed to step it up. Because it was nine years ago. Nine years ago, we did not have great comic book films. Spider-Man. No, Spider-Man. Aside from Spider-Man. X-Men, I think X-Men. X2 is a great, a great comic book movie. I disagree. I, I'm, but I'm saying that there's, there's a difference. You know, like there, to me, there's no path between Batman Begins and, let's say, Iron Man. Like, there's no path, there's no connective tissue to me, except they happen to feature comic book characters. I'm not talking about this movie, I'm talking about Avengers. Right, but right, the Avengers... Avengers' DNA comes from Iron Man, yeah, not, it comes from, from, not from Iron Nolan's Man, Batman. Captain America, Thor, difference. It's just different movies. I, and I'm not saying this negatively or positively, but the, the, the quality the Avengers has is completely different than the quality that you know, the Dark Knight has and, and the Batman Begins has. It's just a different, it's different filmmaking. It's still on a massive scale, though. That wouldn't have been as widely accepted if it were not for... But that's, I think that's, that's in your own head because Spider-Man had already made $400 million by the time, time Batman Begins came out. You know? right. so, Lawrence, as you mentioned, Lawrence of Arabia isn't Sound of Music. They're right. both epic, Oscar-winning, monstrous mm. movies. Yeah. But they're not informed by the same yeah. source. And this is the, but this again. This is what I think is brilliant about Christopher Nolan, 
is that Christopher Nolan's created three movies, and I think this is almost his intention, I think at least especially by the second movie, created three movies that are singular in their vision. There's no movie to be made that spikes off of these movies. These movies exist in their own pocket, in their own world, and are are amazing cinematic achievements outside mm-hmm. of the fact that they yeah. star Batman, you know, and you know, you can have a, you know, like Bob, you're saying not a great Batman movie. And that, it's, it's interesting the thing to think about, right? So if it's more comic booky, if it's more Batman-y, does that make it, is it that mean it's going to make it a better movie or is it just kind of, or, or is it just a different movie? You know, that's, well, that's the, the weird thing. thing. It's what we've discussed with DC's coming problem mm-hmm. moving forward. If you hire or tours, Mm-hmm. You get their movie. If yeah. you had hired, just to be ludicrous, to put it to put a crazy point on to make it, if you had Woody Allen direct the Batman movie, <laughs> no, you, you're going to get a Woody Allen movie. Yes, or you're going to get a Hitchcock movie or an Orson Welles movie or whatever, whoever else you wanted to name mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. You have this movie, Zack Snyder's Superman. Superman, we think will be a Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, exactly. or the deadliest catch. <laughs> 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 You're the second person I've heard say that today. <laughs> sorry. Okay. No, Don't be sorry. That was awesome. That's funny. Marvel's hired journeyman directors who are willing to tow a company line for the most part mm-hmm. and make a movie that's a combination of their vision and the company's. Yeah. To create a unified whole. Yeah. And Steve, I'm not totally discounting your point because I think I, you're, it certainly didn't hurt. Yeah, you are. That Batman Begins came out. But I just think that the... And this is why... I, uh, this is part of me getting a point where I don't think the Avengers and Dark Knight Rises are really comparable movies because somebody said like, oh, you know, the Dark Knight Rises make Avengers look like a kid's movie. And I'm like, it's... It, they're just totally different no. to me. They're just, it's just... It, you can't compare, you know, Gandhi and Die Hard. It's like a different, you know... But, but people are, though. Yeah, but I think, that that's, I think it's lazy to compare them. They're they're just totally different, you know. Right. And in the same way, we you, know that you they can don't make know that. Well, you can saying, make right? they all know right. it. <laughs> you can make points about adult issues yeah. and human emotion and drama in a movie that's more fun. Yes, absolutely. And still have the heroism there. It doesn't have to necessarily be all grim and gritty to make the same point. It does not. And I don't think the Avengers is a kids movie at all. And that's not what I was saying. No, I know. I, I'm not you saying know, you are. People are saying. That to, to then prop up right. their argument about the other side. Right. Of it. Which I don't think. Which isn't you either, Steve. Yeah. I don't think that. We're, we're being very nice to each other, by the way. To now, after the spoilers, I don't know what's going to happen around here. I don't we'll think see. one needs to be better or worse to make the other one better or worse. You know, that's the, right. that's the it, thing. Yeah, it's not a balance beam. Yeah. Where you have to look at either side of it. But I think we're, now we're already getting to minutia, and I kind of want to move to spoilers because we're kind of getting, we're dancing around things right now. Yeah. Um, is there anything else anybody wants to say non spoilery before we move on? Um, let's see. It's, it's, my, it's my above the cut Ooh. things. Um, nothing that can't hold till after the cut. Okay. Um, well, before, you know, let's, let's just say before we get to the cut, okay. the story of the movie, because we didn't really talk about the story of the movie. I don't want to talk about details, but just opinions about the story and plotting of the movie. Uh, for me, I really liked him. I thought that the, uh, I, I thought that what happens in the movie is interesting for the most part. It takes, it has a couple uh, not diversions, but a couple leaps that it takes to get you from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the overall picture and scope of the movie is is pretty powerful. Mm. I'm still ruminating on the politics of it, and not to turn this into the Talking Politics podcast, <laughs> but there are a lot of um, commentators from left and right wing speaking all sorts of things. Is this... 
uh, how do we put this? Are we having sport with the Occupy movement? Is he apologizing for big business, that they're the answer to anarchy and chaos? Or is it pointing out that, well, there is no chance? Or what's happening with that? Because it is a really big part of it. It was going on while he wrote, shot this movie. It, it is. It, it was. And, you know... There's obviously, I think, some political stuff that seeps into the cracks, but again, like the idea of anarchy and all that stuff is not a new idea, you know. No, it, but, but just because of that, because we did get to that with the Joker mm-hmm. the last time around. But we have there when we're not past the cut yet, but I'm, so I'm not going to say too much here. But there are moments where some of the main characters are having conversations with each other about how things have gone down and, well, it's not quite the storm I expected or, well, people go broke differently than others and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So is it addressing those issues? Is he being even-handed and just is putting it out there? I don't know his politics personally, so I can't speak to that. But it's interesting that that deep an issue can be here. Yeah. Which I'm celebrating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think they talked to him about it and he said... You know, he didn't mean for it to be like, political. You know, it's just the way that it kind of happened. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I to look at it as a one-to-one comparison, I think is a little bit tough because it is you know a, a giant guy in a mask, you know, doing these right. things and stuff. But but I mean, you, yeah. you, you guys all know Invasion of the Body Snatchers from mm-hmm. years and years ago, and it was made in the fifties in the middle of all this you know, McCarthyism going on, and they asked the director Don Siegel. Uh, well, it's about McCarthyism, right? No. No, you, you're not reading my movie correctly. It's not about that at all. Yes, but that, but look at this and this and this. Yeah, well, I didn't... You think it's that. Yeah. I don't think it's that. Yeah. To me, it's about the dehumanization of people individually, that they've lost their way. They're all homogenized into pod people. And yeah. that's what the movie's about, not about mm-hmm. creeping communism. But at the time, and for 20-odd years out, it was, well, that's what your movie's about. Yeah. Then he would just say, well... Up yours, right? Of, what, <laughs> you don't know what I made. Shut up. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, I'll stop ranting. <laughs> Stephanie, did you have anything else you want to say before we get into spoilers? Um, I don't think so. I will leave most of what I have to say to you know being able to say everything. <laughs> right. Okay. So I guess we'll head into spoilers now. So if you guys haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, you should probably stop listening now because we're going to start giving stuff away very, very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, fast and furious. So this is your chance to turn it off right now. Okay, so here we go. Um, so let's get to we'll, we'll get we'll talk about the maybe the two biggest things that happen in the movie, which come at the end of the movie. Uh, first of all, we have the Talial Ghoul uh, reveal. Loved it. Which you know, it was it's it's so it was. I think for people who do not know anything about comic books, huge surprise for us, <laughs> less so because that and especially because we're doing this. That was a prediction about her, like, the moment she got cast. People were like, Talia al Ghul, obviously. So, I actually, when that part happened in the movie, I had been waiting and waiting and waiting <laughs> and waiting. I'm like, when is she going to be Talia? And when it happened, I actually screamed, I fucking knew it! <laughs> well, you, you had a, a really good glimpse when they show up at the fusion machine, and it's sort of... Well, you, you guys were sitting next to me when, during the movie. You, did you hear me when that happened? I was like, well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a great, I think it's a great move, and it's crazy that we get Talia al Ghul in the Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan Batman movies, which I think is awesome. 
uh, it's a good moment. My only, my only, I guess, qualm with, with not with that moment, and I, I like the moment, I like what comes after, but it made me wish that she had just been in the other movies and they had like they had set it up more. You know what I mean? Or even more in this movie itself. Yeah, She's exactly. In the movie, a long time, mm-hmm. and you know something's going on. It's one of my cons on my little con scoreboard over here. You saw something, even if you didn't know, we all suspected. Yeah, something was off up with her. If you were a blind person, it was she's not. I can't trust her. She's wanting you to turn this machine on. Want to do the do the why? Yeah. Well, she's a bad lady. Yeah. See, I wasn't really paying attention to all that, but I mean, speaking from, I mean, of course, I know, and we were, you know, we were speculating, and we turned out to be right. But for the people that don't know who Talia Al Ghul is, I don't know how much they would have cared. Like it was, they they do the reveal. And they find out that you know the guy from the for, for the, the guy from the first movie yeah from the yeah. for the from the mass audience perspective they're like the guy from the first movie turns out that he had a daughter and guess what but she's evil yeah you know and it's just that for people that don't know who Talia Al Ghul is beforehand I feel like that's a, it's not a really big payoff that it's kind of like a I don't want to use the word cliche. But it's a classic movie move where it's like, you know, whoa, guess what? Not who I am. And then it's like, oh, well, then who are you? Oh, you're the daughter of the guy. And they barely, they really don't get into the, the Ra's al Ghul stuff all that much. They, they touched on the Lazarus pit. Like they, they, they alluded to what it was, but they didn't tell you what it was. And they didn't include it in the movie, which I thought was weird. Why even bring it up? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think that. I, I think that what you're saying is actually for the people who don't know as much as Talia Al Ghul is. I think that the fact that they pay off something happens in the first movie is good. I think that's the meaning for people, and that's the meaning it you're supposed to take. From it's it. good, but it's typical. No, it wasn't typical at all. I, don't I think thought it was yeah. great. Not I for thought us. it was perfect. I not thought for, that they brought back a character. They brought back Liam Neeson, who was such a great villain in the first movie. And they tied in something. I mean, it wasn't like Miranda Tate or Talia had this huge role in The Dark Knight Rises. It's not like the whole movie revolved around this plot twist. I mean, it did in the end, but it's not like the whole movie was about that. And yeah, but you're forgetting the mm-hmm. perspective that I'm saying that it's coming from because you're talking about fans of the trilogy and fans of the three of the three films that people invested themselves and remember that people that are in mass that are just going to this thing that they reveal that I don't think they're going to care very much. Yeah, but you can't. Yeah, of course not because they're stupid if they haven't seen the other two. <laughs> well, that's my point. Why would you yeah, go? You see, yeah. Why would you? See I just wanted to pick on the stupid people for a, a few trilogy minutes. Trilogy, if you haven't <laughs> seen the other it. two, yeah. Do your fucking homework. Um, Right, look it up well, online. Yeah, but find I don't out understand who she why is. you brought it, brought it. Why did I bring it up? Uh, if, why do I, mean, I bring up almost anything that I talk it. about? Why would on you show? go see it if you haven't seen the other two? <laughs> why? Yeah, to be part of an event. To, mm-hmm. Yes, to be part to be part of an event because it. Well, of start- course they're not going to understand it though because they're idiots. No, well, but look, so there you go. a lot more people saw the Avengers than saw any of the movies that came before it except Iron Man. Right. Yes. Well, yeah, because but you can still understand event- that minus those movies. But the. It helps to see the other ones. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and in this case, somebody who went, oh, I just have to see this because it's the last one, is going to say, oh, yeah, it's the daughter. Great. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying, Steve. Yeah. It, it's a little bit of, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, well, people, I mean, people like, people were, at, I went to a family party uh, the other day, and of course, it was right after, so it was the talk of the party for a good mm. portion. Did you see the new Batman? Did you see the new Batman? And everybody kept asking me, do I have to see the other movies to go and see it? Because they actually had their tickets. That, like, the next morning, there was, like, you know, 11 of them. They were all going. Yeah. Go well, home immediately. And, I, and, and I, said, I said, did you see The Dark Knight? And they said, well, which one was that? And I said, oh. oh. But you see, I'm glad I don't know anyone that's stupid because I'd punch them. Hey. Why would you go see hey. something I guess a family? Family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Why did you pay to see and pay the price that you're paying for a movie? In IMAX and 3D and all this stuff. Oh, well, not 3D because Christopher Nolan didn't do that, thankfully. But why would you pay that much money be- for a movie that's going to make zero fucking sense to you? Because people want to be part of a phenomenon. Yeah. They want to they wanna be a part of the machine that moves Batman towards that dollar. You know what that like rings to me? Bat Sheep. Well, like, yes, yeah. but well, uh, do you know how many? How, hold on, Bobby. Do you know how many <laughs> fucking sheep there are in this world that will go and do something like that just because? Because it's Friday night and all of their friends want to go see the new Batman, and they were stupid enough not to see the first two, but they want to still be included because they like oh. the dude or the chick, and Why they want to. Even s- talking about this, can I just Let say me- something? I just want to say something. I I, I think that. Insulting people for wanting to go see a movie is a little ridiculous. I'm going to start off by saying that. Well, why would you go see a movie well, because that, that we, you have no, listen, like it won't make sense to you? I just we don't would understand never do that, that mentality. We would never do that, right? But you have to think about something like this too. People who don't go see a lot of movies, people who don't know a ton about movies. This movie doesn't say, doesn't say Batman three. It says The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, so the, first of all, right there you get a, you you get a bunch of people who go. Well, it doesn't have a number next to it, and if, if I wanted to go see. Like, if you go see Die Hard with a Vengeance, you haven't seen Die Hard 1 and 2, yeah, you'll miss something a little bit out of it, but you're still going to get the guy who's, you know, oh, I'm, I'm down on my luck and blah, 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 whatever. So, and if you know Batman, you know who Batman is, you're like, I can see this is a Batman movie. Um, yes, you won't get as much out of it, but I think you'll still get something out of it. But we're getting away, we're, we're, right. we're okay. swimming way off let, topic here. Yeah, let, let's yeah, go back to where we were now. Okay. Uh, can I just throw something in here? Right, but the, the Talia sure. al Ghul okay, thing, right. really, really right. quick. Well, because it's related to that. Go ahead. Okay, I don't know. Them, go no, ahead. Fin- no, no, finish okay. up your point because it comes after. <laughs> All right, so my thing with Talia al Ghul is, is, is not the thing about, uh, it's not even the fact that she gets introduced late. It's the fact that, you know, she's supposed to be this mastermind behind this plan, but you never get to see her being a mastermind. You get her to see her, you get her for like a couple of minutes and then she's dead, you know? And I would just like to have seen her doing raw, like Al Ghul type stuff. stuff. You know, that's all I wanted to see. Um, so that's the only thing I'm missing. I, I, Marion Cotillard is a great actress and she does a great job. And the, the moment where she turns into Talia Al Ghul, where she reveals that's who she is. I, I, I loved it. I was like, okay, you seem yeah. like Talia Al Ghul to me. You know, I just wanted more stuff from her. Now, I'm very happy they did that mm-hmm. because at that point, I was really unhappy with the conclusion of the whole Bane thing because we had set up this great, great villain who, who does something really bad to Batman, though not quite as bad as we'd expect because yeah. basically Batman here needs a chiropractor, <laughs> which was pretty poor. I did not I expect thought. that to happen in the movie when it did. I thought that was going to be much later. Oh, uh, I yeah, expected no, earlier. I mean, they kind of alluded actually. to it in the trailer. Well, yeah. yeah, but I'm not talking about the trailer. I'm talking. Well, no, about... I know. I'm. I'm just saying. No, yeah. he said they didn't expect it to do it when it was I'm done. Saying, He's saying it's yeah. later in, in spoiler territory. When when yeah. Bane, you know, breaks throw, back. Bane breaks his back. I yeah. thought that not that it would be the conclusion of the film, 
but that it might be like the last like half hour ish kind of thing. I thought that would be the conclusion, mm. like that they would he would break his back, and that was gonna be it, and that it was gonna be like Batman goes out on a note where he needs to be replaced. Well, that's what should to me should have been earlier. You hurt him early. And then he actually recovers because he has a broken back. No, he has a misaligned spine, <laughs> and he hangs off some ropes in his cell. My mom, back in the 60s, had a bad neck, and they gave her this thing with a water bag, and she sat in front of the door, and it straightened her neck out. <laughs> it's not quite what I anticipated. All that said, we finally get to the big fight sequence. He's back, and he's Batman, and manages to get back to Gotham City from God knows where with no passport money, and I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> he doesn't have a motorbike like Bruce Banner. I'm not sure oh. how he gets back to Gotham City, but anyway. You mean so, after they're all stranded and quarantined on the island? No, where, no, yeah, where yeah, Bruce, Bruce is in the middle of Uzbekistan <laughs> or whatever with nothing. And, and gets he, back oh, okay, I see in a minute and a half. I also wanted to know how he got back right. to Gotham but after we, we the finally, whole island. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking. Okay. I'm nitpicking. Let me get to the, my real He's point. He's Batman. All right? He's fucking Batman. <laughs> He's not, not in it, not wearing a potato sack he is. I'm sorry. He's Batman. He can <laughs> okay. figure out a way to get back right. in the city. Okay. He's Batman. Well, I'll, I'll take that as a given and He's move Batman. on. He's Batman. We get to the big fight sequence with Bane. We've got the wonderful moment of the police and Matthew Modine Mm -hmm. breaking out of there, coming back from the grave, and so's Gotham City. It's a wonderfully evocative moment. And we're going to have the big Batman-Bane fight. Batman's the, you know, since it's that universe, maybe he and Captain America even, he's the greatest hand-to-hand fighter ever. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, Muhammad Ali could beat George Foreman and Sonny Liston, even though he couldn't because he was better in his heart. Right. Batman fights Bane again. Is He gets lucky and knocks some tubes off his face and still gets his butt kicked again and is laying there in a heap to have Talia tell him what's going on. Thankfully, she wait, then wait, drives wait. the plot forward. Go ahead. But go, please he go, got li- He was lying in a heap because Talia stabbed him in the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He beat Bane. He had Bane beaten. Bane was and down on the ground. And stabbed in the ribs. Yeah. Ben's like, how did you escape? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, not good enough. I want a decisive Batman. You set the villain up. He needs to then be utterly defeated. And we don't get that. I want that catharsis. If you're going to give me Wait. two hours of You mean Grimm, Bane utterly defeated? Yeah, I Bane. want Bane utterly defeated. like a rocket launcher. I, no, I want Batman. <laughs> oh, okay. I want I Batman like, to um, utterly defeat Bane. <laughs> By himself. I want him to rise up to this occasion and say, no, I'm the defender of Gotham City, me, not the police, not Jim Gordon, not, mm. not, not Joseph Gordon-Levitt, me. I take him out. But I did like how they did that with how Catwoman came in and she was like, I don't know how I, if I feel the same way about your whole guns thing. It's a great line. But I, I yeah. do agree with Bob that I did want Batman to beat Bane physically you know, and just end it. Like I noticed that he he does, and then he gets stabbed, and then and then they have this. They have they use that moment to get, um, you know, Catwoman back into the into yeah. the fray again. But I do agree with you, Bob. I, I, but I also feel like that's a problem Nolan's had uh, pretty much in all of the movies, except I think except for Al Ghul's like ending, mm-hmm. Ra's al Ghul's ending in the first movie. I think is really the best ending of any of the yes, villains because Crane, like Scarecrow, gets a shock, gets shocked with a, a taser, and then is gone. You know, um, 
the way that Joker gets beaten, I don't think is great. The way that the Harvey Dent thing ends, I don't think is really well done. In, in, in like, it's not perfect. So does that? And the other point too was I don't like the way that Talia dies. I just don't no. like the way she dies. She's so pretty when she dies, though. And, I, and it's I'm, Jim Kirk in Generations. Oh, that's what I mean. That's His what, head it, just it, turns over a little. Just, and, oh. and that's what I meant. I'm glad you know what I meant. It's not. Like the manner in which she dies, which is fine. It's the actual moment when she dies. She goes like, "My father's work is done," you know. And it's like I'm just it, it, it felt like it didn't belong in the movie to me. And again, this is nitpick. This is nitpicking. But and you don't you only nitpick exceptional movies. You don't nitpick the you know the, the bad movies because you don't have to. But um, so, so sorry. You Stephanie. mentioned you just mentioned Scarecrow for a second, and as like a brief thing, I loved Killian Murphy's brief cameo there. That was a big surprise. Yeah. It didn't surprise yeah. me because I, I, he, the, Nolan's always said that he's going to keep bringing him back. But I liked the first time you see him. I didn't like the second time. I was like, I only did once. <laughs> and I loved like all the subtle references too, where they're talking about the flip of a coin, and they uh, do the reference to Killer Croc, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just loved the little subtle things. Yeah. Um, but if I may be so bold as to mention one of my nitpicks, go ahead, show me. Fucking Hollywood, stop making women wear. Stilettos. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But she had, she had, like, she had, she had like blades, razors, on her, razors yeah. on her stilettos. Okay, I thought that was pretty cool how yeah. they made them like actually useful. Yeah. But that shit is not going to happen. I can't even wear heels to a fucking concert, let alone kicking someone's ass. Those things would be coming off my feet, and I would be using those as a weapon to hit people with. Like that does not happen. Women do not mm. wear those shoes to crime fight. Doesn't happen. Stop it, Hollywood. Right. And, and since you are a superheroine in your spare time, oh, did I just give away your secret identity? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I agree. Though they did make a mention of it in the movie. Do you find it hard Super to walk in stuff. those? Yeah. Also known as Miss Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, I know that they do it, whatever. It's fine. But at the same time, it's I, not I mean, fine. I like how they made everything it. in her costume um, like usable. You know, she gets stabbed, people with the shoes. But again, it's just one of those things where I wish Hollywood would stop doing it because Don't say it's Hollywood. Ridiculous. That's such like a... You can't even walk in them, let alone fucking run. The, the Hollywood thing is such a, it's such a blanket thing. Like, I'm sure Christopher Nolan, it was Christopher Nolan's decision, I'm sure. I'm sure nobody pressured him. Uh, he decided this is the design of the character he liked and this is what he was going to do. So you don't think that they would have, if he said, you know what, that's not practical, they wouldn't have changed it because I'm pretty sure they would have. Yeah, no, what I, happened to realism? I'm uh, saying they would have. If yeah. Christopher Nolan had said, I don't like this, we need to change it, they would have changed it. Yeah. They would, they would like, have kissed I mean, Christopher Nolan's feet. But Hollywood <laughs> in general, like, it's not just him. I mean, I'm not saying it's just Christopher Nolan's doing. It's a thing in general with women in movies. Like, they always got to be wearing heels. I don't <laughs> care if they make your legs look better. They're not practical, bitch. <laughs> can, what, I ask, what, can I ask a Steve, question? Go ahead, yes. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. Now this is this is not really a nitpick. It's more it's more of a question because I feel that I didn't feel fully understand it as I miss many things when I'm <laughs> reading something or watching something just because I'm a little out there. But anyway, the all right, the bomb. Yes. Oh boy. Why did it take so many months for that thing to go off when they had a trigger switch where it could have been triggered at any time? Why did they wait? Was the whole point of them waiting just to see how how like depraved Gotham could become? That was the point. That's right? what I think. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, Bain says that he goes, "I'm going to give see. them hope. I'm going to give them the illusion of hope. Okay, so they can really feel despair. Okay, yeah. 
All right, that's and it. they wanted to like bring down the rich, and you yeah. know. So he was trying to. He was. He achieved what the Joker was trying to do in the Dark Knight with the with the with the boats. Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. See, only the, on a bigger scale. Bigger well, that goes into my point about it being more about Gotham and less about Batman. Not that it wasn't about Batman. It's all about Batman. But we got much, much more intimate with Gotham. We started to do that at the tail end of The Dark Knight. And now, for I mean, we even said that for a while, it feels like a GCPD, uh, yeah. you know, Gotham movie that you're, uh, you're in with the citizens, you're in with the inmates, the children, all of those people, you're right in there with them. You spend like a good hour and a half just with these people that I think that they were trying to make you like the, what's his name? The, the, the cop dude that gets downed in the street. Matthew Modine. I don't know his yeah. character name. Okay. But, yeah. Taylor. I guess. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah, Officer sure. Taylor or something. I totally agree with you about his character being almost like you didn't really need him, mm-hmm. but I think that they were try- they that he was there to try and connect you a little bit more to the whole Gotham plight, but I still don't think that it was necessary. No. He just well, yeah. Sorry, no, go, no, go ahead. No, no go, you can no, go ahead. No, it's, no, it's a related point. Go ahead. Okay. All right. <laughs> go ahead. I'll come back no around. You. No, you. What I will say about this is that I, I agree with you about it being more about Gotham City because the movie's about two hours and 45 minutes long. I think you probably see Batman for about... 40 minutes probably like in the like you see Bruce Wayne for more than that but which is in and of itself isn't the problem though there are people complaining about that yeah. when I say it's not necessarily a great Batman movie isn't about the amount of screen time it's just about the no, amount I know. of what he informs the movie yeah with. no I know I know I know what you're saying um, but I really liked that Gotham PD aspect yes. of, of the movie a lot I, I felt very connected to the Jim Gordon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt characters the John Blake character uh, so I was in for that stuff. You know, I, w- I was fascinated by... Well, I expect it because of who's making the movie. Yeah. That's his mm-hmm. bread and butter. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And I completely accepted it and I embraced it. Yeah. You know, like, if that's what it's going to be, then let's do it. Because let's face it, everybody loves this character, but you don't have a Batman without Gotham. You have, you know, like, you've got to get right in there with both if you're really going to appreciate the sum of its parts. Yeah. So uh, and it's great you get to live with their uh, despair, which goes on for there's a, a, a TV screen at one point. So about day eighty four, and that's all good except that I think it's a, it's a plot point that's a problem. If Manhattan were under siege for eighty four days, the U.S. government would do something. Mm-hmm. And if what they're they're postulating, first of all, I don't know. I've read maybe too much about nuclear physics, and now I'm probably going to get visited at home by the FBI uh, in the wake of all that's going on in the world. Um, but it's still an electronic device, and if you wanted to shut it off, you would just explode an, uh, an atom bomb over this, the city far enough up that it would do no damage, and it would be EMP, and the thing wouldn't work. Beyond that, it probably wouldn't explode in the way they're describing it because a fusion device needs a fission device to trigger it which is we don't see there at all. Uh, hydrogen bombs don't just explode. You, you're forcing hydrogen atoms into helium with the power of an atomic bomb. They don't have that. So it's, it's poor science 
that could you could then defeat his whole plan with just doing one thing. Right, but it's like the problem with that that logic, though, Bob, is that it's like new science in in the movie, and that's when that's when people say there isn't new nuclear physics, though. I'm, yeah, in, in say, the I'm real sorry. world, but like this whole thing was like this is a new technology that you know the reason Bruce Wayne shuts it down is because of this and this and that, and this this one scientist, the only person who knows mm-hmm. how to do this and this and that, and for me, that's one of those things where you either have to just get on board with the MacGuffin part of it, or you just... you, you just Okay, but then within their own MacGuffin, it has a blast radius of six miles. Yeah. I always and think d- that's on the menu at McDonald's. <laughs> it should be, if it's not. And he drops it, you know, a mile into Jamaica Bay or whatever, and, and nothing happens. Has anyone seen, I don't know, the footage of Bikini Atoll or the Marshall Islands where things get flattened for miles and miles around? <laughs> uh, so, and again, the, the idea is even forgetting my sciency aspects here. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> it um, is now. It, it can is be now. Now with new sciency words. Um, the idea is the, the government doesn't move to do anything, and that's that's a real problem because they would they would attempt something. We see nothing except five green beret guys show up yeah. at one point in a truck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no police. There's no contact with the police. There's no contact with the outside world except there are five uh, National Guard guys on a bridge, the yes. only bridge left. There are. There are five National Guard I, <laughs> I had no problems, really, with the story stuff. I was able to just kind of get on board with it all and enjoy the ride and appreciate it for what it was. It was all like the little nitpicky e things, but, I mean, that kind of stuff, I could not have been bothered no. to be like, no. oh, right. Well, that doesn't make sense. I had trouble following it at first. I'll fully admit it. The first, like, half hour or so I thought was a little convoluted. I really didn't understand why they were taking the dude from the plane. Yeah, that opening plane scene, I think when I watch it again, I'm going to be really impressed by it. But in the moment, I totally agree with you. I was like, why are they doing the thing? I honestly didn't think that it was that exhilarating. I was actually a little disappointed Mm -hmm. by it. Is that the opening sequence that they showed before? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, okay, I didn't. Is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like I, I, I'd heard all the, you know, all the feedback. I mean, I never watched the clip, but I'd heard the feedback, and I just, you expect that moment to be really big, and I, I've seen like I've seen big plane stuff before. Um, one of the moments that always sticks out for me, plane wise, is going off a little bit, but Castaway, the uh, <laughs> Tom Hanks movie. Even if you don't like the movie Castaway, that moment where the the shit goes awry with that plane, that is an intense moment. The I wouldn't know because that scene made me want to vomit. All right, well, the um, the Bane escape troll Stephanie comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh no no no! I meant like literally like. Oh, just, oh okay. Like, I like, thought I, it. Go ahead. Just made me so nauseous. Oh, right. the, like the motion of it. I got you. All now. right. Well, <laughs> I thought the Bane escape. It was it was cool. It was like sleek. It was stylistic, and it was you know well well planned and calculated and everything. But I didn't feel a rush from it. And for that to be the opening of the film and then, you know, fade to black, show the title, move into the rest of the film. I like my initial feeling of maybe I'll watch it again. and I'll be like pumped. And yeah, but like when that happened, I was like, huh, I was like, all right. And I, I, I expected to feel really like mm-hmm. jolted, like something like Mission Impossible 4 when we saw that, like that the, the movie opens and they go to the title sequence, and you're like, like you're so pumped. I was like, okay, like that was cool. It was a little, uh, I don't know. But to me, I think almost every single Christopher Nolan movie I've 
ever seen is better the second time. It's never as good the first time. You always have to go back in and enjoy it. Like the prestige is so much better after you see like that final sequence and then you get into like and then you go back and watch the movie again yeah. and you look for little things. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, I there is absolutely there's really anything that I nitpick, anything I didn't understand never took away from my enjoyment of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd been waiting for this. I had been pumped. I really wasn't even excited for it until the night before. And I watched um, I watched the Adam West Batman, Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight all in a row. Uh, yeah, I threw the Adam West in there. So funny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Tim Burton for you, yeah. right? <laughs> and I just, I was so, I barely slept the night before. I was on Twitter the whole night, mm-hmm. like seeing na 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 like just totally pumped. And and I nothing that happened in the movie plot holes. I mean, people are saying that there's plot holes everywhere. Really, point them out to me because I I didn't. Well, Bob pointed a couple out to you. I've got um, one. I've got another one. Yeah, but no, nothing <laughs> nothing that nothing that took away from the initial f- satisfaction, especially the last hour. The last like forty minutes was so good. Mm-hmm. Everything paid off in the last like hour of that film. Stephanie, you were gonna say um, something. Yeah, I was just going to say, can we talk about the stadium scene for a second? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. First of all, loved the shit out of the moment where Bane's walking up to the stadium and he's all like, what a lovely voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about the kid singing the anthem. Yeah, oh, that kid was awful. Awesome. And then second of all, um, so Gotham's team is the Gotham Knights, right? Yes. But in this movie, it's called the Gotham Rogues. Yeah. And in the trailer, like, you know, I think I mentioned this and Bobby might have yelled at me because it was spoilery. He but did. like mm-hmm. you see in the trailer, somebody holding up the R and it's the Robin R. Yeah. And they changed like the Gotham Knights to the Gotham Rogues. And I think specifically to maybe get that sort of little dig well, in there and kind no, of allude to the other big, I mean, you know, reveal at the end. Before but, we get, I mean, we'll, we'll get that reveal in a second, but that sign was created by an extra that wasn't commissioned or anything by the the oh. production. It was just some extra who brought that sign with him. Yeah, but at the same time, they used it in the movie and I, I in the trailer as well. But so yeah. I mean, it seems to me that there was some like. Thank you. I mean, it's reaching. Christopher Nolan doesn't do stuff to me for no reason, like change subtle details, like mm-hmm. the name of, you know, mm-hmm. the team for nothing. <laughs> um, no, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the guys who made the natural want to sue him. Yeah. Uh, So is that what you want to talk about from the stadium scene? I don't want to cut you off. Well, I just wanted to like kind of segue into into the the Gordon Levitt stuff. What a beautiful voice. (laughs) Yeah, and I really like that part. That I also wanted to mention that, but Uh, I wanted to mention that, and then I was like, well, so that other stadium scene was like the R, and then Robin. (laughs) So I mean, we can jump into the Joseph Gordon Levitt stuff. Uh, Whole time, you know, he's being set up as kind of a kind of Batman-like figure. He's mm-hmm. lost both his parents. Robin. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, I will say this. The scene in which he goes to Blaine Manor and is like, yo, dude, you're Batman. I, I like the idea of that scene. I think the performance in that scene is very good. I think the words that you're saying are, are, are well acted and, and have kind of poignancy to them. However, I think the reasoning behind why he knows who Batman is is bullshit. Yeah, it's awful. Like, every orphan in the world would know then that Bruce Wayne was Batman. If he had been like, listen, I grew up with this, and I, and I, I, you know, I saw you, 
And then I, I, be, I saw Batman, and he was a symbol of hope, and I, after he disappeared and you, dis- and you went to hiding, I this investigating, if he actually said what he had done, I would have totally <laughs> bought that that guy could have figured out that Bruce Bane was Batman. But his reasoning being like, I just saw you and I knew because I'm an orphan too. That you were Batman. I'm like, come on, man. Like, you know Annie, you know Annie would know knew? you're Batman. It wasn't because he was an orphan. It's because he's motherfucking Robin. Yeah. Except he's yeah. not Robin. Rob- because yes, Robin's is. name isn't Robin. Robin's name is Dick, Dick Grayson. Grayson. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Deal with it. Because people, stupid people wouldn't get that. So they had to change it to Robin. It's symbolic. And I, I appreciate the symbolism of that moment. Um, though all I did want in that moment when he was like, oh, it's probably under my real name. I literally Wanted. got giddy. I was like, please say Dick Grayson. Please say Dick Grayson because yeah. that would be awesome. And he's like, oh, it's so pretty. Robin. I'm like, okay. Like, I get the symbolic nature of that moment. But the thing is, he's not going on to be Robin. He's going to go on to be Batman, yeah. you know, yeah. um, which is awesome. And, dude, I, I don't even care that this is the end of the Christopher Nolan trilogy. I would pay money to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Batman. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that would be awesome. Will he be too old by the time we get to Justice League? No, but I just I don't think they would do that because that'd be too like a weird like cross pollination. Okay. People would be confused. It's part of this trilogy. It's part of not. Um, but I thought Gordon Love was great in it. And I, it I, also would have been yeah. good if Talia hadn't died because Batman, um, aka Bruce Wayne, and Talia had slept together too. So they did. Yeah. there was always things. Yeah, they could have done that. They had shenanigans. I think I think you'll might get that in a, in like whatever the no, new Batman Bat will be, but. One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, and it's such a little scene, is uh, Bruce you know, gets k- kicked out of that board meeting, and he has no car, and he comes down, and Blake picks him up, and they're sitting in the car together, and they're like detectiving together. And I was like, oh my god, this is, this is how you do like, the real world Batman and Robin. They're sitting here, you know, detecting out. And I will say this, you mentioned before, Stephanie, about Chris Nolan does not nail, and I totally agree with you, does not nail Batman as detective. He does not nail that mm-hmm. aspect of it. I completely agree with you. Um, but in this movie... I was so happy when we just got that moment where Alfred went down to the Batcave and he was sitting in front of the computer, you know, and he was like looking at all these screens up and he was doing all this stuff. Those little things I really liked, you know, but well, generally, we were, unless it's Lucius Fox or Alfred figuring it out, he can't figure out anything. Yeah. And it's, it's one of my issues with all three movies at some point, but uh, this one particularly considering the long term problem here Batman fails miserably over. And over mm-hmm. again, he makes terrible judgments about people, about his comeback, which now lets Bane get away to do all the things he does because he's not ready to come back. He misjudges Selena incredibly. I think Selena and Bruce have wonderful chemistry, and Batman and Catwoman have none. Mm, okay. I, I just don't see that they talk at each other but not to each other. The, the the civilian identities, I think, really mesh very well. And you can understand why he'd fall in love with her and, mm-hmm. and would go there. And as soon as they put the suits on, he's back to being, you know, nowhere guy. But it's business town. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But it's just each time Gotham gets blown up, people get murdered, his girlfriend gets blown up, Harvey Dent gets turned into Two-Face, Bane takes over the city, puts an atom bomb in it. And he shows up after there's billions of dollars in property damage and all the bridges are blown up and he punches him in the face a couple of times. It's a, I think I, it's not great writing. I understand the Irving Thalberg formula that, okay, you want the greatest victory to come when Thalberg's idea was the best victory in a football game was the other team has the ball on your two-yard line and you intercept the ball and run it back for a touchdown the game ends. Mm-hmm. Great. 
you do it three times, it's, it's enough. We blow up the, the trains, we blow up hospitals, and now we, we're going to blow up everything. One too many times for me. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I mean, this is completely off topic again, but I was really excited by uh, Bern Gorman, who was in it, who's from Torchwood. Anyone who Owen. Oh, no. yeah, you're oh, absolutely you right. Owen yeah, yeah. sucks. I hate Owen. <laughs> yeah, I don't Owen. mind the actor, but I hate the character. <laughs> well, he, I, I was just surprised to see him in And what, a, what uh, the about Night Thomas Rises, Lennon? I didn't know he was in it. That's yeah. from the state as the doctor. Yeah, the Holy Lennon. shit. What? Thomas Lennon. Thomas was Lennon from the state was, oh. uh, was the doctor, was Bruce Wayne's doctor. Yeah. So. I've seen um, worse cartilage in knees. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> I heard his voice and I said, no way. And they showed him. <laughs> And I freaked out. Um, I was also surprised that Juno Temple didn't have a bigger role. Like she was sort of hinted as um, Holly Robin, Holly Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Selena's she was. Friend. She's sort now billed she as just Jen. Yeah, I mean, she sort but, of is Holly Robinson, and you know, without the in name, de facto, yeah. that's the same character basically. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I was surprised she wasn't in it more. Yeah, I mean, where are they going to fit her, though? That's the only well, I mean, thing. I just thought she was going to be more integral to um, Selena Kyle's character. Ah, okay. Like, she does, she obviously is tied in very heavily to the character, but you don't really understand, or you don't really get much. Well, you don't get, um, you don't get much, but you get a hint. We're talking about the little girl, right? No, no, we're talking about no, the, the blonde who uh, lives with Selena. Yeah. That's that's who we're talking oh, okay. about. Okay, yeah. So the little what? She was sixteen. Not, not a little girl. She was sixteen. Twenty like something. Yeah. In real life or in the movie? <laughs> I don't know. They don't realize Both, their age. I think. Yeah. Well, she's supposed to. Is she supposed to be? I mean, before she was like the girl in, ba- in Batman Year One, basically. Right. So yeah. she was part of the whole prostitution thing. Yeah. Yes? Well, yeah. Yeah. But they, but, yeah, but they didn't really do that, that in that movie. No. Either, but yeah. but they well, hit, no. She she's dallying with Anne a, Hathaway, a customer on the staircase. That's true. Anne Hathaway makes a reference to that to. Bruce, I think, where she says that, you know, I haven't always been on the up and up as far as earning my way mm-hmm. through Gotham. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, referencing she's like the days of her being like the protector of the, you know, the women of the evening. And the little girl Which is, is still, why Holly's there, yeah. Right. And she's still in the picture. I thought that for comic book fans that know that backstory, I thought that was huge. It was cool. Well, I, yeah, I, I thought no, it was I great. liked that she yeah. was in it, but I'm just saying I did, was surprised there wasn't more tied into Selena Kyle. There was no time. Yeah, well, it's only two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, but for that... <laughs> no, I know. I agree with you, Steve. I totally agree with you. Uh, but, Bob, tell me... I, I mentioned Catwoman before. I mentioned I really loved her. Mm-hmm. I thought she was a great representation of Catwoman uh, on screen. And you kind of... Right. I, I, you got I little... don't think she's playful enough. There needs to be, if, if not completely... I don't want goofy... But she should be really enjoying what she does. And we see Selena enjoying the heck out of bringing Bruce's breakfast or whatever it is and stealing stuff and whatever, the, the deal with the senator in the bar. She's yeah. really having a great time. Once she puts on the outfit and the, the 47-inch heels that she has, it's as if her feet hurt so much she can't have any fun. There's just not enough Catwoman. Look, to me, Catwoman's Julie Newmar, and no one's ever going to be better than that. That was the balance of the two. She would, she was as villainous a person as was on that show. And yet there was always a different aspect of it. And I, I just didn't see that here at all. Okay, Steve. I just, no, this is, see, this is where, this is where Bob and I differ. We're, we're, we're great friends. But the thing is, is that like, you can't, 
you can't rehash. I mean, you can honor a character. You can't always rehash it. You're not going to meet with the same, the same level of performance, the same criteria. I love the old Catwoman as well. But, and uh, this goes back, I didn't get to say anything uh, a few minutes ago, but the whole thing of them working together, I, w- I was happy just to see that. I mean, maybe I have to watch the movie again and analyze it from your perspective mm-hmm. and, and see maybe if it wasn't as successful as I initially had believed. But I was so, like, I was like literally moving in my seat at the idea of them moving through the sewers together when she double-crossed him and everything and just... Watching them take out the thugs on their way to meet Bane was so... I'd seen that in comics. I'd read it before. And the fact that they bothered to include that in in any context whatsoever, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether it was done the correct way or not, whatever is correct, was so exciting that it, it... put away any kind of like nitpicking ways that I would have about their attitudes towards one another. You said they were talking at each other. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel that. Okay. So. I, I will, and I will not be offended by being called a nitpicker. No, <laughs> because, no. This is what we're here what we to have do. here, there are way too many scenes where it could be stunt people in their costumes fighting with other people. And not enough... Okay, the moment where it's Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer on a rooftop isn't here. Mm-hmm. There isn't that I feel the heat between two characters here. There's something happening beyond what's on the page and even what's on the screen. There's something within these two humans acting this scene out and I don't see that. I don't know if we're supposed to feel that yet. Uh, he trusts her enough and is obviously enamored of her enough that he's willing to just give up he's all- his, his device to get her to do what he needs and enough that he trusts her even a second time. He's also hungry for, for Bane. He, he, he'll do anything to get to him to shut him down faster so that Gotham isn't at risk. So he makes another one of his horrendous mistakes that gets him into even more trouble than he did before. Well, I'll say this. Um, I understand what you're saying from a Batman perspective of not liking the fact that he makes rather large mistakes. But, and you said this kind of in what you said before, in in this movie universe, you can't have a character who's always right, you know, or, or you're going to... But gonna, he's you're more gonna... often wrong than right. Yeah, but and that's, that's... that's the way most movie heroes are. They're mostly wrong, and then they get one thing right, and they end up saving the day, you know? Um, so I understand where you're coming from. I just don't share that same that same criticism. And I actually don't agree with you at all about the way they interact together. When they're in costume, that scene where they're fighting back to back, and like she's gonna, she's shooting the guy, and she, he knocks the gun out of her hand. You know, he was like, "No guns" or whatever. And the whole thing. No guns. I, I, I really like that scene. I felt like I felt the energy there. I, I felt like they were connected. It's not the same heat that's in the the Burton Batman Returns. It's not the same heat. Um, <laughs> Sorry, cat jokes. <laughs> Meow. But. I, I like their repartee. I, I like their interactions, like in the car, or not, it's not a car, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I do, I agree with you. I think the interaction between Bruce and Selena are great. Yeah. So the combination of those two things, it works for me. Mm-hmm. I love that she's not like a woman who's like possessed by cats, you know? And like, as much as I like the Batman Returns, Selena Kyle almost seems borderline insane. You know, in Batman Returns, it's like she got licked back to life by magic mm-hmm. cats, and now she like is sort of like crazy. Fuck uh, that movie. Um, Batman Returns. 
Batman no, Returns? you're talking about getting licked by cats. I say fuck that movie, and you think I'm talking about Batman well, that's Returns? That's what I was talking about. Talking about Catwoman. But I was talking about Batman Returns. Oh, you talk get licked by cat? That's what happened in Catwoman. Yeah, I thought you were talking about Catwoman as well. Oh. She has that Batman Returns. Yeah, she, she falls, falls out, out of building. the building. She gets pushed out of the building by Max. Or I wasn't whatever, paying attention. And she gets she gets licked all what? over by the cats. Um, mm. So I like that. I like that. And I, you know those scenes, the scene where she kind of, you know, she she takes the pearls. And then she kind of backflips out of the window. I thought it's a great. I was like, oh my god! I feel like I'm watching Catwoman. You know, I agree. And that scene in the bar, like you talked about before, I love that moment where she's she's like kicking ass, and the police come in, and she's like screaming, screaming. She starts screaming like on a dime. Love that stuff. You know, loved Selena. Yeah, I I also love the fact when she brings him to get down, and he gets captured by Bane, and she realizes that you know, because I think when she brings him down there, she knows Bane's going to try to trap him, but I think she still kind of believes that. You know, Batman could, might be able to beat Bane. Like, it's not like it's not an end of the world thing. It's just she wants to get him down there because she wants to do what's right for her. And then when she realizes that a that it's Bruce, and b that he's gonna die or get seriously injured and maybe not survive, that look on her face, uh, it, I think is great. Mm-hmm. And I think that Anne Hathaway really, really did a great job. Well, when they uh, when when they ask, you know, is he alive, and she says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That that scene is just is super powerful. Yeah. Um, but the, now it does lead to another moment that I'm not enamored with. She does try to leave, which I okay. She is very self-serving. Once if she ends up stuck, I would have loved to have seen where she, in his absence, tries to do something. Mm-hmm. That there's a growth as we get to where she'll turn around with the, the gun things and doing what she needs to do to help him. In between, uh, since we do get to see her stealing an apple or stopping someone from having an yeah. apple stolen. I wanted more of that. I wanted more of her in there. Since we have nothing to look at in Gotham while he's in the pit, which we go back mm. to maybe Well, I think it's implied that she does sort of stuff like that. Like, she helps out when she says stuff like, don't you know you can't be doing stuff like that in my territory? Yeah. Not nearly enough. I like it. I mean, you can't get I, so I much. Like that. It's not I the wanted... star of the movie, you know? It's not a Catwoman movie. So you can only get so much. Okay, but if we getting we have more Matthew Modine in that whole stretch of the picture than we have her, and that's yeah. a, that's a problem. Um, so that all leads all leads up to you know the ending of the movie, which we obviously we've been <laughs> classic movie set up, and like the, the the moment this thing is mentioned in the beginning of the movie, I know it's coming up at the end where he's getting the bat, and Morgan Freeman says, "Oh, the autopilot doesn't work," and you're like, "Well, obviously that's yeah. not going to just not be nothing." You know, and, they, and then so the end part, the bomb's going to go off. They can't shut it down. It needs to be taken away. And, you know, Batman says, I'll do it. I'll take it. There's no autopilot. I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. Um, and we get a series of kind of goodbyes in, in that little section. Um, you know, the Selena one is the least, I think, uh, you know, heart-wrenching of them all because she just hasn't been a character as long. Um but I got to tell you, the moment where he says goodbye to Jim Gordon, I literally almost cried. And, like, when I talk about it, I almost cry. Well, when he tells him about, you know, oh, it's, you know, it could be a little boy that you gave a yeah, coat to. Yeah. And he remembers. Yeah. And he's just, Bruce? Yeah, yeah. That was awesome. That moment he you know, says, a hero can be anybody. Even if it's just a guy putting a coat on a young boy, let him know the world hasn't ended. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is a great moment. How do you Sorry. remember that word for word? Because I loved it. I was, like, that, he said those lines, and I just, I was, oh, I was like, oh, my God. What were you going to say, Stephanie? I was just agreeing. That was perfect. Yeah. Perfect way to tie in like that scene from the beginning mm-hmm. back in with, you know, the ending. Yeah. Uh, Full circle. So we get um, 
Bruce goes out and he blows up and everyone's like, oh my God. And, and then we get this kind of, you know, almost, you know, we get this montage ending of all these different events happening at the same time. And, um, I, I mean, again, I almost cried with, with the Michael Caine thing. I was like, I was yeah, like, Alfred, uh, Alfred in the cafe that he was discussing yeah. earlier. Well, not in the cafe before that when he's at the graves. Oh, okay. And he's talking to the parents' I let graves. You down. Uh, yeah, the thing I let you down thing. I was okay. like, oh my god, it killed me. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, but then, and I actually listened to Kevin Smith talk about this, and he t- mentioned that the music is driving. It's very telling because music is driving, and you're kind of wondering what is why are we getting like this like. It's a driving score. It's like it's moving us towards something where you would feel like it should almost be, you know, somber, somber, or you know, almost like a eulogy kind of mm. score, you know, like and then, it, but it's driving us towards something, and you know, we get John Blake going to the place and getting the bag and and with the GPS directions, and then you start, you know, then you're like, okay, I know where he's going. Like if he's getting this from Wayne, you know where he's going. Um, and the moment in the cafe. Um, so what do we think about that? You know, we we think Bruce is dead. We figure out that we hear in the Lucius scene that. The autopilot got fixed by Bruce, which I like that Bruce fixed it. Smart Bruce right. fixes it. Uh, and then he's, ba- he's in that cafe. He's that moment with Alfred talks about earlier in the movie, which I think is a great moment. And, um, but what do we think about him being alive? What, what do you it think? Was, Sorry, it was Stephanie, very Sherlock Holmesy. It was a little Sherlock Holmesy. It was. Reichen back full. Yeah. 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 Um, did you think it paid off? Do you think it worked? Yes, Bob? because he gets a chance to. It's the conversation you have with Maggie Gyllenhaal, you know Rachel Dawes, and the other movies. The idea of okay, when it's my turn to go, when when Gotham doesn't need me anymore. Well, he's set up his legacy with the Blake character, yeah. and he gets a chance to go off with Selena and go on the yeah. Riviera, spend his money, do nothing. Gotham's soul has been saved. Yeah, spend his non money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you have some money, you can make more money. <laughs> got stuff he can sell if he can you know as we always talk about tony stark can sell stuff or peter parker can sell webbing well he can sell those toys yeah absolutely what do you think of the ending steve i thought the ending was very satisfying for um I, i guess i guess hopefully for everyone but i think even more so for comic book fans and fans of even like batman beyond the animated series where um you get uh will friedel who was in uh, Boy Meets World, he comes back and he's, you know, the young Batman and Bruce Wayne is the curmudgeon old veteran who's, you know, the, the wizard behind the curtain calling the shots and doing the training and all that. That if you know that, if you was if you know cuz they they it's kind of like like inception where they didn't they didn't that final shot of whether the um the totem whether it falls over or not, you don't know. Yeah. Right now, for people that they they call him Robin, or they they you know they say, oh you know go by your name Robin. There's a lot of people, and again, I'm trying. I don't know. I don't know this podcast. I'm kind of like speaking for like the like masses <laughs> or something, but um, they called him Robin. So you know, there's no there's no Robin suit in the Batcave. No. So yeah, but because they called him Robin, people that don't know that Robin eventually becomes Batman that he takes over, people that don't know that, they might assume that like Bruce is just on vacation. They don't understand that he's passed mm. the torch, that he's, you know, he's handed over the I don't duties. Know about that. That's a pretty obvious thing. Everyone thinks he's dead. Ah. Uh, the whole world thinks he's dead. Yeah, but yeah, mm, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to assume that everybody knows that because that's giving people a lot of credit. Yeah, but I mean, again, this is the thing. You can't like. I don't care about what, what everybody thinks. Maybe you don't. But who does? I mean, no, Christopher Nolan isn't writing this movie for right. Everybody. But we're t- we're talking about this from perspective of of. I mean, we're talking about our personal experiences with it. But you also have to think of it on a grand scale. It's a huge. We were talking about it being a yeah, phenomenon. It is phenomenal. It's a huge. It's probably since Spider Man Three fucked everything up. It's probably in a lot of people's eyes the greatest. Uh, comic book trilogy that there's been so far. Well, it definitely is the best trilogy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying for people, like, I'm thinking of everybody that goes to see this movie that they, they might not get it. They might well, not. No, that's a given. Yeah. They might not get the ending. They might not understand. Like, they could think that he's just taking another one of his sabbaticals, that he'll be coming back. I mean, they've brought people back from the dead in Batman all the time. Yeah, but again, but but this You're is you. are talking about people who haven't read comic books. Yeah, so then they wouldn't know that. But so, they do know who Robin is, if nothing but just from Underoos in the television yeah, show. So are they going to lead that look, into look, it? I'm, I know saying, look, I'm saying there's two endings to this movie. There's, there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt getting the keys to the Batcave, going in, stepping on that platform, and the Batman suit popping up, and he's like, oh, look, it fits. But there's also the people that assume that perhaps... Batman decided that when he comes back to Gotham that he needs a sidekick to to maintain Gotham and that when Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes in hold on don't make a face I, I, I'm making, that when anything. he goes into the cave that when that platform comes up there's going to be another slab that opens up and there's going to be a Robin suit in there there's a you lot of people overthought this buddy. Yeah I, I think that you you I think you are saying that people are too stupid to get this ending and you've you, created a yeah, ridiculously like, complicated ending for them to get I don't think it's very complicated like way, at all Like yeah. that thought didn't cross my mind even in a blurb How could like, it not You see you see Bruce's grave it says Bruce Wayne on the grave dead Alfred thinks he's dead Morgan Freeman's character thinks he's dead everybody in Gotham thinks he's dead so he's he's dis- he disappeared for years to dead, and then there's to that the scene. ground. He disappeared six feet under. It's nah. a mirrored scene from the earlier movie where where Alfred says, I, "I I I never wanted you to come back to Gotham. I was hoping I'd see you in a cafe somewhere. You'd be happy with somebody, and then I and then I would know you would never come back to Gotham." And then we see the scene at the end that mirrors that scene that Alfred hoped for. Look, I'm a very, I'm a very cerebral person because we it, all are cerebral people here. Yeah, but but look, be, because it was because during the ending when I was watching it, knowing all that I know and being a Batman fan as much as I am, because the ending and what was going on in that scene was even a question for even a fraction of a second for me makes me think of these things. I break it all down, I lay it all out. There's a there's there are people out there that don't know. Yes, but you're saying that that scene should exist for people who don't know, but that makes it like. Never mind. Well, I'm not. You, you no, know what you no. just said was you said I think about all these things with all of my knowledge that I have. I'm saying that because they called him, they they referenced him to being Robin near the near the tail end of that movie. Yes, that, but they called him that because people are stupid and they won't get the Dick Grayson thing. So I mean, no. Never mind. I'm done. No, I know. I'm sorry if I'm presuming to speak for you here, but I go ahead because obviously I'm not getting my point across. Because if they're going to call him Robin and not call him Dick Grayson, it's for the people who sort of 
understand there's Batman and Robin without knowing he's a circus performer and all the rest of this sort of stuff. So he's just Robin. He's Batman's partner. So we're putting the name out there for, for those folks, which isn't the us. It isn't the great majority of our listeners, it's all, the complete total majority of our listeners, 100% of our listeners. Yeah. It's for Joe Average, Joe the Plumber. I want to go see this because I'm a sheep and I want to go see the movie everybody else is seeing. Uh. Robin. He's, thank you. Thank you. I was hoping you would do that. He's, <laughs> um, he's Robin. So we get to the point where, okay, we... Batman's dead, but he's been dead before or missing before. We see the, if I'm doing the sequence correctly, we see him t- at the waterfall and the platforms before we see the cafe. No, the, the, la- the last shot of the movie is the platform rising up. Yeah. And the, when it, that makes the, it, the symbol. It, okay, the but cut he's to black. He's, but he's and it gone, says the Dark Knight okay, Rises. But he's gone to the waterfall first. We see him he's going through the waterfall, yes. Right. Okay, so we see he's going, with, obviously, with something Wayne related. We see now Bruce is alive sitting there minding his own business and as he could be on vacation in well, France uh, look, and right. we're back around to could it be in some people's minds Batman and Robin somewhere down the road yeah. I think look, that's what you're yeah. aiming there, at I don't have the t- I don't know we don't have the time to really to, to dissect this the way I want to but I just want to make my point before we end this and I sound like an asshole you don't sound like an asshole alright you called him Robin at the end of the movie for whatever whatever yes. thing you called him Robin a lot of people don't know Robin without Batman. They don't know that Robin eventually becomes the Batman. Yeah, I know, but that's not, you don't even have to know that to understand what's happening there. They I think you do. No, you're overthinking no. it. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that people could possibly think that because Batman survived, because he is still alive, that quite possibly while he's on vacation in Paris with Catwoman... <laughs> vacation dead. Yeah. No, look, stop. Look... People, people have come back, okay? Is it entirely impossible for Bruce Wayne to come back and be like, yo, I'm fucking Bruce Wayne, and I had some shit to take care of, and guess what? I'm it not would dead. be if While this was, was dead. the beginning of something. This is the end of the Christopher Nolan trilogy, a movie that's been, it's been advertised for that forever. The point of this is that Bruce is done. Bruce is done being Batman. And there's, there's, many, there's many speeches and stuff in The Dark Knight Rises about, you know... It's a symbol, and the whole, the whole trilogy is about the fact that the reason he becomes Batman is because Batman isn't about Bruce Wayne. It's about the fact that if he's Bruce Wayne fighting crime, he can be t- taken down. He can die. That can end the symbol. The symbol of Batman continues. At the end of the movie, Jim Gordon has rebuilt the bat signal. He didn't build a Robin signal. He rebuilt the bat signal. I mean, I get what you're saying, Steve, like in the sense that, sure, People come back from comics all the time. But you keep associating this with people who don't know comics, and they won't know that. So he's dead to them. He is dead as a doornail. He is six feet under. That grave is there. And, you know, that's there, the Wayne Manor became the orphanage, yada, yada. Oh, that's right. that like, was a good he moment. is not coming back. <laughs> if you but look, comic my, book fans, or non-fans, rather, I, will not, I don't think, get that unless – they happen to have a comic book friend that explains it to them. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm done because I'm just I'm so done with this. But <laughs> if, if you didn't call him, if they didn't call him Robin at the end of the movie, I wouldn't even be having this conversation. The fact that they referenced him and they, they, they put that stamp on him of being Robin, people expect but him to be a sidekick. They not- don't peg him as Robin. His name is Robin. 
But the, is why isn't he Fred? That's if he, enough. Once you put Robin out there, it's it, symbolic. in some yes, but in some people's minds, you're putting that Robin thing out there, and to the point of him being dead, he's only dead on screen for five minutes, and you see him again. So that he's already back. We're yeah. also arguing about something that's not in the fucking movie. Yes. All right. At all. The end of the movie ends. We don't see anything. We see this platform rise up. We don't know if Joseph Glover is necessarily going to take over the realm of Batman and be a crime fighter at all. We're arguing about a a a, a assumption on top of an assumption. No, we're not. On top of an assumption. No, no we're yeah, not. He's called are. Robin within the movie. He's dead and then not dead within the body of the film. The the other things that we want to discuss that that is something else. But he is called Robin in the film. He dies in the film. He's sitting in a cafe in the film. Those things could be confusing to a general movie audience who know, who know Robin as the kid that Burt Ward played on television 45 years ago. But this is the, I don't even understand why we're having this conversation because who cares if six people are confused? I think it's more than six, and Steve did bring up a good point, and we were just discussing the validity of that point, and I think it's a valid point. I, I just think it's, it's just a discussion. If I can't, I'm, if I'm I, having a discussion. I know, but if I can't bring up some wild thought about what I had about the movie, then what's the point of discussing? No it? one said you can't bring it up, but you also can't get offended if we don't agree with you. There's a that's the that's it's the difference. Beca- uh, it's a mind. discussion. It's a discussion. A discussion has multiple sides. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying I don't agree with you. You know, and you can't get upset with me if I don't agree with you. I'm not upset that you don't agree with me. I was upset that I didn't. I felt like I was like you guys weren't understanding my point. Or you were saying that because it's not a part of the movie. I don't understand your point, though. I mean, I get it to an extent, but I, I don't have the time to explain it to you further. Thinking it is where I think Nor a lot patients. of us, or by a lot okay, of us, we don't need to be dismissive. Bobby and myself are coming from. We don't need to be dismissive. Nobody needs to be dismissive. We're having a discussion. We don't need to get long mean. distance hug. <laughs> we're having a discussion. We're not always going to agree. But it doesn't mean we have to resort to being mean to each other. All right. So um, <laughs> that'll be the end of our discussion about Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Uh, and we're at two hours, so we're going to start our discussion about Batman in general. Um, one of our listeners asked us maybe we could talk about the trilogy. Um, and Steve brought up a really good point about me retackling that when the Blu-ray for Dark Knight Rises comes out. So we will do that then. Um, we also don't have time to do any listener questions. So sorry about that, guys. But we will get to you guys uh, again next week. Um, but we're going to cut right to this week's releases. So um, from Boom Studios, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser number 16. We have Exile on the Planet of the Apes number 4. We have Extermin... Oh, sorry, that's a uh, second printing. We have <gasps> Planet of the Apes number 16. So we have oh. Exile on the Planet of the Apes and Planet of the Apes. Oh. Um, from Dark Horse, we have Angel and Faith number 12. We have Axe Cop, President of the World, number one of three. We have BPRD, Hell on Earth, Exorcism, number two. Do we have a, actually we have a review up on that Axe Cop? Already? We do, we do. Yeah. David, David Chorp, a review for us. Uh, we have Goon, number 40. We have um, Mass Effect Homeworlds, number three. Resident Alien, number three. Star Wars, Blood Ties, Boba Fett is Dead, number four <laughs> of four. Uh, Star Wars, Darth Maul, Sentence, number one of four. Uh, DC Comics, we have All-Star Western, number 11. Mm-hmm. American Vampire, number 29. Aquaman, number 11. Batman the Dark Knight, number 11. Before Watchmen, Comedian, number 2. Hmm. We have Flash, number 11. Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Men, number 11. Green Lantern, number 11. Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 11. I, Vampire, number 11. Justice League Dark, number 11. Um, we have Mad Presents Batman, number 1. 
It's that a one shot, actually. Yeah, it's, it's all the parodies from the various movies from Madden for over the years. Yeah. Uh, we have Mad. Oh, sorry, the National Comics Eternity Number One, which is the Jeff Lemire Kid Eternity oh. book. Um, New Dead Wardians Number Five, Savage Hawkman Number Eleven, Spaceman Number Eight of Nine, Superman Number Eleven, Superman Family Adventures Number Three, Teen Titans Number Eleven, Voodoo Number Eleven. Uh, from Dynamite, we have Dark Shadows Number Six. Deja Thoris and the White Apes of Mars, number four. Uh-huh. Kevin Smith's B- The Bionic Man, number 11. Lord of the Jungle, number six. Uh, Nowhere Man, number four. And Witchblade, Red Sonia, number five. From IDW, we have Ghostbusters, number 11. We have Godzilla, number three. We have Hawken, number five. Kiss, Greatest Hits, Volume <laughs> 1 of the Marvel Years, trade paperback. Oh, so they'll fight Howard the Duck again. That's great. Um, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, number 15. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 12. Here it comes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh. Micro Series, number Wrong 6, one. Casey Jones. Um, Transformers, uh, More Than Meets the Eye, <sighs> number 7. And uh, Trio, number 3. Yay! True Blood, number 3. Uh, from Image, we have... Uh, Chew, Secret Agent Poyo, number one. Oh, that's a variant cover. Sorry, we actually have a review of that on the site already. Uh, Debris, number one of four. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, that's how you no. pronounce it. It's a Debris before. Elephant Man, Elephant Men, number 41. Um, Grim Leaper, number three of four. Uh, Haunt, number 25. Manhattan Projects, number five. Uh, Near Death, number 10. Prophet, number 27. Super Dinosaur, number 12. And Witchblade, <laughs> number 158. Um, we have from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man number 690. We have Astonishing X-Men number 52. Avengers number 28. Captain America number 15. Woo. Captain America and Iron Man number 634. Bleh. Dark Avengers number 178. Yes, on that. I still say it's Thunderbolts. I don't care what they say <laughs> in the cover. Deadpool number 58. FF number 20. Yes. Hit Girl number 2. Incredible Hulk number 11. John Carter, The Gods of Mars number 5. Um, uh, Marvel... Oh, the Universe Ultimate Spider-Man number four. That's based on the TV show. Uh, Mighty Thor number 17. We have Secret Avengers number 29. Um, Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates number 13. Uncanny X-Force number 28. Venom number 21. Winter Soldier number eight. Wolverine and the X-Men number 14. X-Men Legacy number 270. And Extreme X-Men number one. So which one is that? No, that's not the Neil that's, Adams one. No, yet. it's not Neil Adams. I don't know which that's one that is. First X Men or yeah. old X Men or whatever that <laughs> guy's gonna be. Uh, and from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales number seventy-five, Grim Fairy Tales Bad Girls number one, Grim Fairy Tales presents The Jungle Book number four, uh, Grim Fairy Tales presents Wonderland number one, which is the ongoing, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, and too many Grims this week. Slow it down, guys. <laughs> and Irresistible number one of four. Now, let me just mention, it is previews week for all you people who go to the store. Give your retailer a chance to get his orders properly, get your pre-order so you don't miss alternate covers or number ones. You know, it's great that they're going to reprint Captain Marvel. Yeah. But if people had seen it in the previews three months ago so the store could have ordered enough that you could have had the first printing and maybe even made yourself some money, but it's <laughs> secondary, but could have bought this while we were talking about it instead of having to wait for weeks. It also affects the sales of the second issue because the previews is three months out. And it, it, books like that that need our attention, need some, some juice, you can only get it by pre-ordering it. So do your retailer a favor. Go through that previews tomorrow. Awesome. Today. 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 Sorry. It's okay. It's all right. I was doing so great there for a second. Yeah, yeah. 
You're almost wrong saying tomorrow because it's almost midnight anyway. So, <laughs> uh, you're almost right on the ball right there. All right. So that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. Um, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, tell us what you think about The Dark Knight Rises at Talking Comics. Um, info at TalkingComicBooks.com. Uh, go to TalkingComicBooks.com and look up uh, all the articles and reviews and editorial and stuff that have gone up on the site. Um, we have a ton of content still up there from last week. If you didn't catch mm-hmm. some of it, definitely go back and look at it. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and review us and rate us if you can. Uh, it really helps us out a lot. And again, guys, thank you so much for listening. It's been it's been great. And thank you again to all the new contributors. Uh, so that is it for Talking Comics mm-hmm. for this week. For Steve. Uh, your Twitter handle. Oh, personal Twitters. Like at yeah. Bobby Shortle. Steve. At, at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie. Hello, cookie. Email address, Bob? It's rrr2442 at yahoo.com. And let me say, I did get a couple of emails this week. So thank you to Sarah, who is a listener for us, who uh, commented on our podcast and our, all our top 10 lists. So mm. thank you very much, Sarah. Very nice. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Bob, for reminding me to say those things. No, no problem. I would have forgotten. Absolutely. Um, so now that is it for the Talking Comics podcast. For Steve. See you later. Bob. Sayonara. And Stephanie. Meow, meow, meow. <laughs> I have been Bobby. (laughs) Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.